Good morning. This is the February 16, 2023 uh, session of the uh, Montgomery County Planning Board. Um, I have a, a note from the uh, from the historians that uh, the Reverend Johiah jo Hansen began a journey of more than a thousand miles on foot from Montgomery County, Kentucky, in February of 1825. Hansen had agreed to transport a group of 22 enslaved by Isaac Riley to prevent the community from being sold to, to settle Riley's debts. It was among the pivotal episodes in Hansen's life that ultimately led him to free himself and his family by traveling to Canada. And we do have a uh, Matthew Hansen Museum, if you'd like to see it as well. Uh, and I invite everybody to do that. Uh, I have other preliminary matters here. Um, we have the adoption of resolutions, which is item one on our agenda. May we um, proceed to adopt these all at one time? Uh, so long as there's no, um, no board Change. member has changes to any individual resolution, they can be adopted as a group. Does any board member want to raise anything individually between Rock Springs Center preliminary plan one uh, 1998 09 uh, 2C Rock Spring uh, Tower one site plan 8 20236C Rock Spring Tower two site plan 8 202004 uh, 017C Rock Spring Center Site Plan 8 202019 uh, I see no objections to what was submitted for these uh, resolutions. Can I hear a motion? Move approval to the four um, actions that you just cited into the record. Second, please. Second, Mr. Chair. Thank you very much. Uh, all those in favor say aye. 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 Uh, Commissioner Presley, your mic is off. I think you voted aye, but. Aye. <laughs> aye. Thank you. Uh, we have a, approval of uh, minutes. Uh, we'll do these separately, I guess. Um, one is the closed session minutes of uh, January 19th, 2023. Can I have a motion? To approve? So move, Mr. Chair. Sure. I'll okay. second then. <laughs> All those in favor say aye. 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 Okay. Um, minutes of uh, February 2nd, 2023. Can I have a motion to approve? Mr. Chair, I move we approve the minutes of the general session for February 2nd. Can I have a second? second. Thank you. All those in favor say aye. 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 All right. Unanimous so far. We're doing good. All right. Uh, we have uh, uh, item 1C, uh, Bethesda Downtown Plan Implementation Advisory Committee reappointment of members. Uh, there was a, a memo that was uh, posted and in everybody's packets. Uh, we're reappointing members who have been there who mm. are interested in uh, staying on. Uh, they may serve for, for two terms, and this would be their second terms for three of them, I think. 
Can I see a motion? Mr. Chair, I do have a question for staff. Sure. Which is, um, are we having any difficulty with um, diversity on that body? Because it seems to me we're reappointing three people, and this would be an opportunity to make some more space at the table if that's an issue. Good morning, Elsa Heisel McCoy, Chief Down County Planning. Uh, for the record, um, I think we have uh, we have made significant efforts to put the word out that these openings are available. Um, we have not had lately a spectacular response. Uh, in fact, on the um, business owner side, I think there uh, there's at least one seat that's open um, that we haven't gotten applicants, so we're be back to beating the bushes. Um, so I think we are... We're doing our best to get folks um, from various corners of Bethesda, property owners, business owners, uh, residents from the single family communities, residents from the multifamily buildings. Um, and uh, you know what we've brought to you today is what we have to offer. So we're experiencing a participatory lag instead of a, uh, uh, and, and we're thankful for the incumbents to be signing up again we are okay good and, and it's I'm delighted to know there are still bushes in Bethesda to beat <laughs> um, no net loss of bushes in Bethesda. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't start with no <laughs> too many people on new net loss um, all right I'll entertain a motion to approve so move so move we took chair okay I guess uh, Commissioner Roberta seconded to to Miss Commissioner Presley's um, motion. Uh, all those in favor, say aye. 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 Okay. Uh, we have a state legislation update. I think uh, Miss Borden is on the lines. There. There we go. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. This is Deborah Borden, General Counsel uh, for the Commission. I'm sharing my screen, so hopefully you can see that. Uh, the first bill is um, SB 526, Natural <laughs> Resources, Forest Preservation and Retention. Um, this is a fairly sweeping overview or, or um, update of the state's forest conservation law. And um, I say it's sweeping because it, it really changes the landscape, um, no pun intended. Um, what it is doing is increasing the uh, ratio by which people have to mitigate forest clearing. And it's increasing it by a significant amount. Eight times um, is the highest amount for certain priority forests and four times is the increase. So it's going from one quarter acre um, to every acre that you clear. Um, and it's taking that to two acres. So you have to replace two acres for every acre that you clear for priority forest and one acre for every acre that you clear for other forests. So, um, you know, the idea that we need to revise our forest conservation law statewide and, and up our game, you know, certainly to meet our climate uh, goals um, is absolutely something that everybody agrees with. All, all of the counties agree with that. Um, what we don't agree with is the way this bill is attempting to do that. There are no grandfathering clauses. 
there's there's um, no protection for anybody who's in the middle of their development process. And the ratios are really, really um, significant, especially considering there's no phasing in. It would just literally come down like a hammer um, on a lot of projects. So um, we are working with MAKO and um, we are not the only counties that have significant concerns. Um, uh, basically the concerns are across the state, uh, you know, from Western Maryland to the Eastern shore. So um, we are hopeful that uh, MAKO can um, work out a, a solution that includes a study of the forest conservation law statewide that will include all of the counties so that we can have all of our voices heard and we would develop some, some comprehensive amendments over the summer uh, and then come back at this uh, next session next year. Um, we think that that is likely to happen. We don't know for sure at this point, which is why we've sort of drafted this in a very strange way. We've drafted it sort of as an opposition, but we've left the position TBD because we want to leave the, the option open that we don't actually have to oppose the bill because it's going to morph into a study. Uh, and that's what we hope will happen. We'll know about that probably in the next week or two. Um, if it if if the bill looks like it's going to move, we will bring it back to you for a position, and it will be our recommendation at that point that the position is that we oppose the bill as written. Um, without significant amendments, this bill would be a real problem for both of our counties. Do so you have you, any questions? You don't need a position of the board on this. This is just for information at this point. It's just for information, and it's just so that you can see the the, the comments that we are um, giving and and talking about with Mako, uh, so that you're not in the dark. We're you know we're doing our best to not oppose the the bill if we don't have to, because if the bill is not going to go forward this year, we don't have to oppose it. Um, we would rather work together collaboratively with Mako and all of the other counties and the sponsors for that for that matter. Um, to come up with something that is going to be, um, you know, wonderful and cutting edge and and great for our counties and great for the environment. Okay, Commissioner Presley has a question or a comment. Yeah, I do. Um, this is is so far the other way, and will be so detrimental to developers. I don't know what we wind up with. I mean, over my time in positions with the board these requirements have been changed many times to the point where you know years ago we thought okay this is good and there was pushback because at what point do we make it so that someone can't accomplish the other goals we have in the county which is providing affordable housing and there's a point at which you have to say too much is too much and from my perspective every single county that's against it should oppose it now my perspective is that there should be a loud statement made that it's not about all hand, you know, holding hands and singing kumbaya, we can get more from developers, which is our priority. We've got trees, we've got conservation. I'm not against preservation, but I am wholly against continuing to have exactions that reduce our potential to meet the other goals, which are more important, and that's people. People are more important than trees, and, you know, I, I defer to what our council thinks is best. I just wanted my opinion on the record that I think everybody who's opposed to it 
now should send a strong message so that people don't think it's about making little changes around the edges. This is just way overboard. It's way too much. And we need to consider how far we're going to push people till they develop elsewhere. Thanks. Thanks for listening to my rant. I understand that rant, to tell you the truth. And uh, um, it, it's just tactically, really, whether we oppose now or oppose later, I guess, uh, if it goes forward. Um, I, I understand uh, trying to uh, talk to our delegation and, and the rest of the General Assembly to, to get to more reasonable conclusions. Uh, so I, I understand where, where the recommendation of staff here. Uh, Commissioner uh, Panera. Yes, thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, I agree with uh, Commissioner Presley's uh, rant <laughs> or his statements. Definitely, we, you know, it's a trade-off between development and and forest conservation. Um, my my issue is, I think um, the um, the attorney that presented said that uh, we they, you know, there may be enough time to do a study, and that's. I'm concerned that, you know, if we spend too much time on the study and the legislature comes around and says, well, next week, you know, you have to make a position. Um, I mean, there's, we're going to have to to, uh, to accelerate that study. Uh, I don't know if in a week or two weeks or a month. I mean, do you have any kind of a, a timetable for what what kind of study will be done? Yes, no, the study that I'm uh, suggesting is that we would get a work group together with all of the representatives from each of the counties all across the state. Um, MAKO would be the lead on it and we would conduct the study over the summer. So we would take the time to go through all of these issues um, because it's not just the ratios, it's also the fact that they are putting so many restrictions on tree banking that it's making it impossible to do tree banking. You know, and so when you attack the situation from different angles, you know, you're you're doing things that really push people into um, areas where we don't want them to be. We don't want developers to have no choice but to pay a fee. That, that's the last thing we want. We want them to be able to plant trees. We want them to be able to protect existing forest, things that actually have a meaningful impact. And so, but all of the counties have different, different situations. They're all different in terms of where they are in their development evolution. And we need the, the regulations to take it, take it, take all of that into account. And it's, you know, these regulations are just not, they're, they're written for, you know, a, a county really that doesn't exist. And and so, you know, we want to get together the counties, you know, with MAKO helping us, you know, make sure that we get to a product, that we don't just talk, we get to a product, and then we have something to present um, that we can all, all of the counties can get behind next yeah. well, year. I, next year, yeah, I appreciate. Not, not this year. Yeah, I appreciate. In fact, it might be even a good idea to do that. So that even if this bill doesn't go anywhere because it might come up again. So it yes. might be a good idea to get the, all to the stakeholders done. and MAKO together and do that study so that, you know, we have it next time that somebody comes up with this kind of, you know, crazy, uh, crazy idea. Thank Commissioner you. Commissioner Presley. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I'm just so disturbed by this. I, 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 sorry, Deborah, but I don't see one single good thing. There's not everybody has been within the counties comfortable with the exactions that have been made and with the the penalties when you know we're, we're pretty severe in penalties if you encroach on you know so we're really we we kind of are protected up the yin yang and I think even while a study is a good idea somehow a message should be sent maybe all the counties can send a letter stating that we are completely opposed to this for these reasons currently, but we are conducting a study group over the summer because I, I can't imagine, you know, how long has this been out for people to, to even see this proposed? It's only been out for three weeks, which is why it's so, um, it's been a really short time frame. We've had to talk to MAKO, we've had to talk to the sponsors, right. and then we've had to talk internally. And that has been a sure. big challenge because it really, it, the bill was not pre-filed we only got it, I think, just barely three weeks ago. Okay. And well, so I can't having even to imagine. pull all, all of this, yeah, together in, in that short period of time, yeah. I had 13 pages of comments to distill into two okay. pages. Yeah. And, and I can't even believe that the developers aren't <laughs> all over this already. Oh, I'm sure they are. I mean, sure it's, it's, um, yeah. It, it, you know, there's just a point at which too far is too far, too much is too much. And, I, I agree with uh, Commissioner Pinheiro that it would be good to have the study regardless of what happens so that you have the information present. And certainly the information about the different stages of development, that's important because a lot of times someone proposes a bill and then they're not thinking about the, ram the you know, unintended ramifications. But overall, I just I really wish there was a way to express from all the counties collectively extreme opposition. <laughs> That's, well, I, I think it has been, I, I do, um, which is why I think uh, the notion of a study is, uh, has gained traction. You know, okay. I don't wanna, I don't wanna say that it's a done deal yet, but it has gained a lot of traction. So it, well, on it, a good point, I'll end, I'll end, I'll end with this on a good note. Usually when somebody starts to conduct a study the legislation silently slips away permanently. So <laughs> thank you for that. Well, I can't promise that, but um, but we, you know, we certainly hope that whatever happens um, will be better than what we have. Um, and so my my next bill, next and last, it's, it's only two, HB 556 is the Cannabis Reform Bill. And um, uh, again, we are not asking for the commission to take a uh, position on this bill. And the reason is that cannabis reform remains fairly controversial. Um, we have members of our delegation who, you know, in spite of the uh, ref uh, referendum uh, back in November where the voters voted for it, uh, we have members of our delegation who are still not particularly um, in favor of legalized adult use cannabis. So we put this together only to talk about two areas, the zoning provisions that the bill talks about and the employment, employer-employee relationship provisions. And we have very limited comments um, and we want to uh, submit these comments into the record and also send them to MAKO because they are also compiling all of the county's comments. Uh, and so I'm happy to go through these or answer any questions you might have, but they're very limited comments. They're, you know, and in some in some uh, situations, they're just questions saying, you know, have you thought about this? And is this really your intent? 
Um, so we we really wanted to make sure that you know these are neutral comments that are technical in nature. I certainly understand the zoning comment, uh, and you know it's not the first land use that the state legislature has been involved in. Um, you know we had we have legislation dealing with uh, with with uh, gun uh, both sale and shooting ranges. Um, so uh, whatever we can do to get clarity would be a good thing. Um, anybody else have any comments? Yeah, um, I have a question. Um, you note on your uh, memo that the problem is. Uh, that they use the the phrase unduly burden and and that that's what's problematic so so i'm wondering um i, I mean i guess i kind of see this uh sort of in the same vein as um you know quote adult entertainment um zoning uh restrictions so so i'm wondering um what or whether um, you you'll be submitting uh, alternate language this unduly burden phrase um, well I guess my answer to that is we will work with Mako um, because we may have other counties that have the same concern um, and so it depends on whether the sponsors are going to be looking to just delete the language or whether they want to try to wordsmith it. Um, we don't want to necessarily suggest it because we just don't know where they are. This is a big, big bill. This is 88 pages. They might just say, you know what, we're just going to delete it. <laughs> and that would be fine with us. Um, so um, we're kind of trying to leave it up to them to tell us what they want to do. But if they want to engage us uh, to word wordsmith it, we will we will do our best to help them. And we do have the regulations on like adult bookstores uh, stating the distance from schools and other things within our own zoning ordinance and we're perfectly capable of doing that with this as well. Uh, I think, uh, oh, Commissioner Hill has a comment. It just seems to me that liquor control is a good analogy here. It's true, except we own the liquor stores. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Not not beer and wine, right? Hard liquor, but uh, um, okay. I I think you've got all you're going to get. <laughs> Mr. Chair, I think uh, Commissioner Pinero has a question. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you, Commissioner Pinero. Well, there you go. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. I just want to benefit from your wisdom, Mr. Chair. In, we, in regards to uh, gun and liquor, well, liquor is a, is a local sonic, but in the case of gun, when the state passes uh, legislation regarding zoning, is that pretty much uh, an infringement? Is it an infringement? I mean, do we have to follow that, or can we oppose it at the local level uh, well, or create it, our it, own zone? It depends how they write it, because um, uh, the state grants the localities the power to zone. So given that they are the source of zoning power, they can control by legislation if they so choose. Uh, we don't like when they do that, but they can do that. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Chair. 
Okay. We 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 do our best to help them with it. <laughs> to help keep them out of zoning, for uh, as far as I know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I, I think we're done with this item. Thank you, uh, Ms. Borden, for your help here. Thank you. All right, we're on to item two, uh, record plats. We have a subdivision plat number 220-230360, North Bethesda Center. We have a staff recommendation for approval. I see nobody who would like to speak on this. Can I hear a motion? Move approval. Yeah. And I second that. Second. Uh, except your mic wasn't on. <laughs> uh, okay, all those in favor say aye. Aye. Uh, aye. Aye. And maybe I'll get 10 minutes before the plat appears on my desk today, but we'll see. Uh, thank you very much. Um, Let's see, we have one uh, regulatory extension, sketch plan number 320 uh, It's 9801 Georgia Avenue. This is its first extension. We're trying to, oh, there you go, wrong button, right? If I press <laughs> the wrong button, it won't work. Uh, Mr. Chairman, um, initially, this was put forward with conditions, and I see now the with conditions language is struck. So I'm curious as to, you know, whether the conditions have been met or what's going on with that. For the record, Amy Lindsay with Mid-County Planning. That is what we call a staff error. My apologies. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that, that's the technical term for that. All yes, right. I think the colloquial is oops. <laughs> and it's the first time it's happened, correct? Never mind. Uh, that one, yes. <laughs> I've made other errors. Um, do I hear a motion? I see Commissioner. So moved, Mr. Chair. Oh. Do I hear a oh, second? second? I'll second. Okay, we have, a, we have a motion and a second. All those in favor of the extension say aye. 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 I see Aye. an attorney sitting in the background, but we're okay. Thank you. Um, all right. Thank you. So we had no, that, that's completed. We're on item five. Do we need a pause? We always need a pause. It's a commercial break.
Good morning. It's February uh, 16th, 2023. This is the Montgomery County Planning Board. We are on item five, Battery Lane uh, Site Plan C, Site Plan number 8-2022-0230. Uh, this is a public hearing. There are two speakers here. We did get one piece of, of, of testimony uh, written to us. I, I will let uh, staff introduce the item and go through their uh, conditions and then go to the public hearing and public testimony and then let the applicant speak. So please take it away. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Good morning, members of the commission. Uh, for the record, Adam Bossy with the Down County Planning Team. I'm filling in today on this item for Grace Bogdan, uh, who couldn't be here. Uh, and I am very excited actually to be presenting this first site plan application for the Battery Lane District, uh, which stems from uh, several pre uh, a previous sketch and preliminary, preliminary plan approval. Staff is pleased to be recommending approval with conditions of the site plan today. So this project is located on the northern edge of downtown Bethesda. It's in the Battery Lane District. The district is generally uh, generally includes properties on and around Battery Lane from Old Georgetown Road to the west to Woodmont Ave to the east. Properties on Battery Lane itself are residential and generally include condominiums ranging in size from 4 to 12 stories and smaller uh, apartment buildings. To the north of the Battery District is the NIH campus and to the south is Rugby Avenue. Uh, that includes a mixture of single-family homes closer to Old Georgetown and commercial buildings closer to Woodmont Ave. Some background on this uh, pr project. Prior to the site plan application in 2019, the planning board approved the Battery Lane District sketch plan and preliminary plan. The sketch plan allowed for up to 1.752 million square feet of mixed use density, predominantly for residential uses. Uh, it did also include some non-residential use as well. Uh, the sketch plan covers five sites highlighted on the slide, located on the north and south side of Battery Lane. Uh, these are currently home to aging apartment buildings that the applicant would like to reinvest in over the next 10 to 15 years. The sketch plan also includes uh, condition 11B, which did require a minimum of 15% moderately priced dwelling units on sites A, C, and E, and a greater minimum percentage of those MPDUs on site B, uh, which required 25%, and site D, which is shown on the sketch plan with two buildings, one to have 17.5% MPDUs, the other one to have 25. Uh, so across the sketch plan area, there'll be a, a total of about 20% moderately priced dwelling units provided. Uh, the preliminary plan for Battery Lane was approved for four out of the five sites. Those are A, C, D, and E, um, which were included in the sketch plan as well. This approval allows for up to 1,130 residential units and 6,000 square feet of non-residential uses across those four properties. And it does also require the implementation of a master plan separated bike lane along the south side of Battery Lane. So the creation of the separated bike lane is to occur in phases, uh, with an interim bike lane to be provided first, followed by an, up an upgrade to a final condition with the complete, uh, to be completed in conjunction with the redevelopment of properties along Battery Lane. With this first site plan application for the Battery Lane District, the applicant must construct the interim bicycle lane along the entire extent of Battery Lane from Old Georgetown Road to Woodmont Ave and install a protected intersection at Woodmont Avenue and Battery Lane. 
Additionally, the bike lanes within the site's frontage will be constructed to the final condition. Uh, here, looking at the site, uh, Battery Lane District, uh, site under consideration today is Site C. It's located on the south side of Battery Lane, just east of the Bethesda Trolley Trail. Uh, to the east of the property are the Battery Lane District Site B site, as well as County Parking Garage 35. Confronting Site C to the north is the recently approved 4901 Battery Lane property, and to the south are several commercial buildings and the Bethesda Police Station, which all front on Rugby Avenue. Subject property is currently developed with two garden-style apartment buildings with 147 units and associated surface parking. The site is approximately 3.19 tracked acres in size and zoned uh, CR with an FAR of 3.5. Uh, there is also a maximum height allowed on the property of 120 feet, and it is within the Bethesda overlay zone. As a refresher, the site plan review is the last stage of the optional method of review uh, after sketch and preliminary plans. Uh, so this review is really focused on detailed design to include the final footprint of the building, setbacks, height, final architecture, landscaping, and so forth. Uh, during the sketch review for the Battery District, the applicant conceptually proposed the building massing shown here on your screen, which includes a base with two residential towers and a lay-by lane along Battery Lane uh, and a ve vehicular access loop around the entirety of the site. The sketch plan was conditioned to provide design alternatives for the lay-by proposed at the front entrance and to further design the proposed through-block connections, which are uh, indicated here with the green arrows. So the site plan, the applicant is proposing to construct a new multifamily residential building with a maximum density of 367,500 square feet for up to 315 units with 15% moderately priced dwelling units. The proposal does not request to utilize the Bethesda overlay zone density as the total FAR proposed is 2.67, which is less than the mapped maximum FAR of 3.5. Uh, with no overlay zone density requested, no park impact payment is required. Uh, the project proposes structured parking at the rear of the building and three partial through block connections across the site uh, that we'll discuss in some detail on upcoming slides. The final site layout shown here uh, shows a site and building design that has really matured since its concept was approved with the sketch plan. Uh, here we can see the applicant has shifted the vehicular lay-by from along Battery Lane to be interior to the site at the building's northeast corner. Uh, and part of that will be covered by a nice porta cochet all vehicular and loading access will be from one curb cut at the site's northeast corner. This access arrangement is very similar to what I presented to the board a few months ago with 4901 Battery Lane across the street. Um, these changes in design at the subject site allow, the pedestrian allow a pedestrian plaza to be provided along Battery Lane. Uh, with this image, we also see the applicant has removed the vehicular access loop from around the entirety of the site. Uh, this is another significant design improvement that allows for those through-block connections to be for bicycles and pedestrians only rather than share, shared with vehicles. Uh, the design of the building itself is no longer a two-tower design, but rather um, uh, a U-shaped tower that emerges from the base. This change has allowed for a significant portion of the roof above the parking deck at the rear of the building to be utilized as residential amenity space. So this image expands on some of those key access and circulation items I just noted. Uh, the proposal consolidates five existing curb cuts into one, on, into one eastern access point for pickup, drop-off, loading, and uh, garage parking. Again, all interior to the site along that eastern property line. 
Along Battery Lane's frontage is the master plan bicycle lane, shown here in its final condition. There is a detailed discussion about uh, bicycle lane and frontage design on pages 21 and 22 of the staff report as well. Uh, the three partial through block connections follow the descriptions used in the staff report. That's, uh, we label them as eastern, western, and southern, uh, shown here as well. Two of the three connections, the western and eastern ones, are recommended by the sector plan. These connections are ultimately intended to improve bicycle and pedestrian access between the Battery Lane District and Woodmont Avenue area to the south. As you may recall, with uh, 4901 Battery Lane, it also included a through-block connection, uh, which uh, terminates just across the street from Site C here. Uh, and with 4901, we left the question of, how, well, how are we going to get across the street to this project as well? Uh, to accomplish this, we included Condition 13F in the staff report, and that does require the applicant to submit that detailed crosswalk design to MCDOT's Division of Traffic and Engineering Operations. And that would be at the time of the right-of-way permit to allow that connection across Battery Lane. Uh, walking through each of the through-block connections, starting with the eastern one shown here, this connection will be an average minimum width of 15 feet, featuring an 8-foot-wide paved path with a tree-lined buffer between it and the access driveway to the site. Uh, the path has more green space around it toward the southern portion of the site uh, after the access driveway terminates. At the site's southeast corner, the path does connect to an existing three-foot-wide uh, three pedestrian pathway that goes along the Bethesda Police Station site. Uh, now along the western property line, the applicant is proposing a 10-foot-wide paved path with a six-foot-line tree line buffer to the property line. Uh, as you'll see in the upcoming building design images, there are residential units on the building's western facade with front doors that open onto the space. Uh, while this through-block connection will technically only be about 16 feet wide, it, it will feel much larger in this area with the various stormwater features, front yards, and landscaping that are provided with those units on that side of the building. Uh, this path will terminate at the southeastern corner, or, excuse me, southwestern property line, and if and when future redevelopment occurs on properties uh, to the south of that, that's when that remainder of the through-block connection would be looked to be provided down to Rugby Avenue. Uh, this image is of the southern path that is proposed to connect the western and eastern paths, again along the southern property line. This one is proposed to be an eight-foot-wide paved path with a double row of trees on either side. Um, and again, this will connect those two other, other connections that are being provided. Regarding public open space, the applicant is required to provide 5% of the site area as open space and has exceeded that requirement. Uh, really, with the area associated with the through-block connections, they've provided about 14% of the site area as open space. Uh, staff does, uh, has included a recommended condition uh, for the applicant to record a covenant to ensure access uh, is open to the public. Uh, here, we'll start looking at the final building design. So this image shows the final building design of the front of the building. Uh, at the base, you can see the metal frame and glass lobby, which extends uh, really a view from the outside. Uh, looking in from the street, you can see into the courtyard interior of the building. Uh, above the materials remain of a similar palette and provide a rhythm that enhances uh, the corner of the building. So here, this perspective uh, is showing a, the singular access point at the front eastern portion of the building. With, the inter with an internal and pickup, uh, internal pickup and drop off areas, as well as separated bike lanes along Battery Lane. 
Uh, this perspective is showing the western partial through block connection fronting on those unit entries uh, with landscaping on either side as well as some seating that we see in there. Uh, you can see how the U-shaped tower ends and the rear of the site remains at two stories in height and at the uh, right side of the image there. So this final rendering is showing the rear of the building where the eastern and southern through block connections meet. Uh, closer to the building, the applicant is proposing some additional amenity space for residents, such as areas for lawn games and a dog run. Uh, this project was reviewed by the Bethesda Design Advisory Panel twice uh, during the site plan. Uh, at their June 2022 meeting, uh, members of the public did uh, participate and express concerns regarding the building placement uh, and did request that the building be pushed uh, back further from Battery Lane. Uh, the design advisory panel did request the applicant to provide street sections showing the full extent of development on either side of Battery Lane as the design guidelines encourage buildings to be closer to the street. So really to take a closer look at that and see how that relationship would work. Uh, the applicant did go through that exercise with the DAP and provided that follow-up at their July meeting of 2022. And at that time, the design advisory panel did vote in support of 20 points for design excellence for this project. Uh, this project, as an optional method one in the CR zone, is required to achieve a minimum 100 public benefit points from four categories. Uh, we see those here. Uh, through final review, staff is recommending 115 of the requested 126 points. Uh, and the reason for that difference is uh, deductions in some of these categories was based on final corrections to calculations contained in the guidelines and, um, excuse me, the CR guidelines and the Bethesda implementation guidelines. Uh, regarding forest conservation quickly. Uh, the preliminary forest conservation plan was approved with the preliminary plan for the entire subdivision. And the final forest conservation plan for Site C itself was approved uh, in December of last year. These approvals require uh, just shy of a half acre of afforestation, which the applicant will pay through fee and lieu. The previous approvals included a variance for a variance for, excuse me, the removal of 10 specimen trees throughout the subdivision. Four of those are located on Site C, which are shown here uh, with the red circles. Uh, with the site plan, the applicant is proposing to amend the final forest conservation plan to provide the final location of mitigation plantings for the removal of those forest specimen trees. Uh, the mitigation plantings in the form of 13 three-inch caliper canopy trees are proposed along the southern through-block connection. We see those uh, indicated by the green circles along the lower portion of the image. So I go into detail here, here regarding this uh, because we do have some clarifications for the staff report on this topic. So this, this looks worse than it is, admittedly. Um, in the environmental portion of the project in section three of the staff report, it does not clearly describe the action that uh, we're staff is recommending the board take today. Uh, the report includes several pages of discussion on forest conservation, including the specimen tree variants. As I just noted, the preliminary and final forest conservation plans have already been approved. Uh, this includes the variance. The site plan before the board today is only proposing to amend the final forest conservation plan for the singular purpose of showing the final location of mitiga mitigation plantings. Uh, so to clarify this, there's a few updates to the report, including what is shown here to amend the language on page 25. The proposal section of the staff report um, to more clearly explain this. So as you see on the screen here, things that are uh, underlined and highlighted are, are what's proposed for retention or 
inclusion and uh, what is stri stricken is proposed to be removed. And uh, continuing on with that, uh, similarly, we must update the finding for forest conservation that we did include in the staff report. So ultimately, we're proposing to remove essentially all the existing language in finding 2E2 on pages 36 through 40 of the staff report and replace it with uh, the following paragraph that we see here on slide 23. And this basically sums up what I had just noted on that previous slide um, with the prior approvals and really summing it up that the, those actions have already been made and that what's being requested today is to amend the final forest conservation plan to show the location of those mitigation plantings. Essentially, when we wrote the report, we included too much information that had already been vetted at this point. Uh, with this case, staff did receive correspondence throughout the review of the project, uh, which I've summed up kind of the general themes here. We also did include, uh, did receive some more correspondence late yesterday that I want to speak to as well. Uh, but in general, this, the correspondence received did include a letter of support from the local area chambers of commerce and then some concerns from residents in the neighborhood that generally fall into the categories of that building setback uh, from Battery Lane. Um, some concerns with the through block connections, some property management concerns, and questions, concerns about tenant relocation for when this project may move forward. Uh, the comments uh, really regarding the building setbacks, I think we've addressed, you know, the applicant has provided a project that sets the building in a location that respects what the design guidelines are asking for and we feel that's appropriate here. Uh, comments on the through block connections were in regard to how connections were, were being portrayed in the notice in the staff report. We use the language through block connections, but as you've seen here, some of those are partial connections, and I was careful to use that language in the presentation today to uh, be mindful of, of the point of that comment. Uh, those through block connections are envisioned to go through to Rugby Ave when and if development occurs on those abutting properties where those are, are specced for. Uh, that was similar with 4901 Battery Lane across the street. Uh, so respect that and, and understand what they're looking for. Uh, with the through block connections too, we also got some questions uh, similarly where these are only partial connections. Why are we supporting the amount of public benefit points that we are? And we are because they've, the applicant is providing these as specced by the design guidelines, the sector plan, et cetera, and providing really a very high level of design with these that we think warrants the points and, and deserves them, which is why we recommended that. Uh, you know, regarding comments from current residents, uh, regarding property management concerns, we did forward those to the applicant and their team for their attention. Um, Regarding some of the applicant concerns uh, for relocation, those concerns were uh, forwarded to our friends over at the Department of uh, Community and Hous Housing and Community Affairs, excuse me, uh, who are really the group that uh, tackles those issues here. Uh, our understanding is the applicant is aware of those concerns as well. Uh, we also did receive some correspondence late yesterday from the Madison Park Condo Association. Uh, that request the board revisit various aspects of uh, the previously approved sketch and preliminary plan. They asked us uh, specifically for some items to be reconsidered. Um, those approvals are still valid at this time and we're well past the time frame that would allow the board uh, to reconsider that. Um, so st staff would defer to legal and any, any comments that they may have on, on that point. 
Um, and then really bringing us home here. So staff does believe that the proposed site plan conforms with all applicable requirements of Chapter 59, as well as the Bethesda Downtown Sector Plan. The applicant did meet all their noticing requirements, and we are recommending approval of the site plan with the conditions included in the staff report and corrections discussed here today. That, thank you. Thank you for that. I think we'll hear from uh, the public speakers today, uh, Mr. Mohammed and Ms. Uh, Clemens, if you want to come up to the table. We'll give uh, each of you about three minutes to speak. Is Mr. Mohammed here? Oh, Saeed, I'm sorry. No, yes. Um, is Mohammed Saad? Mohammed Saeed? Saeed? Uh, it's Saad. Saad. Are, are you online? Saad. Not here. Yeah, I'm online. Oh, okay. Uh, we'll, we'll let the, the speaker who's here go first. Uh, Sounds and, good. And then hear from you if that's okay. I'm sorry, I thought you were both in the room, <laughs> but I never know. No problem. Okay, if you like to proceed. Hi, I'm Holly Clemens, a grandma living on um, Battery Lane, and I do invite you all to come walk the area because it's hard to imagine what we're all talking about sometimes, I think. I am urging you to consider that Battery Lane Site C really does need greater setback to preserve the pedestrian walkability along Battery Lane and to avoid the creation of a dark canyon effect instead of our sunny street with grass and mature trees. This site plan looks to include through block connections, partial and otherwise, such as from Rugby Lane to Battery Lane, as well as what's referred to um, wayfinding opportunities. But I want you to know really that the best and most used through street connection is through our Battery Lane Park. And the favored path of most pedestrians is actually along the length of Battery Lane, as this is the direct path that brings people to places like the closest bank, the closest grocery store, the doctor's offices. This Site C proposal does not promote enhanced streetscape improvement, as is called for in the Bethesda downtown plan. The building on Site C is so close to the pedestrian sidewalk that it will tower over people walking there. The trees on the roof of the building are no help to the pedestrians on the sidewalk, where a few bushes seem to be part of the current landscape. The new building directly across from this Site C on Battery Lane was approved for only a 12-foot setback. This really does set up for a canyon effect right in this area. The metal and glass uh, front area of the planned building does nothing to create a pleasant green experience walking along Battery Lane. More consideration needs to be given to the pedestrian experience. You see most of the photos that they showed were from the through street connections and the walkways and the, the trees that he showed were not on Battery Lane. They were the through street or partial through street connections. Site C has some hidden green space behind and on the side that I think should be brought forward to the front of the building for a greater setback in order to respect the neighborhood, which is currently a garden district atmosphere. We are an edge community. We are far from the middle of downtown. We are not on a main 
uh, fair like Wisconsin Avenue, we require a much more generous setback for these taller planned buildings. I do want to say that um, I was happy to read that the utility lines are now going to be undergrounded in front of the proposed sites. That is something we talked about before. Uh, the grandchildren mostly, but I am asking the, about the buildings. Are they going to be all electric? Will all the units have electric ranges and electric clothes dryers? Is that something Bethesda has thought about? I believe that Bethesda should be an environmental leader, and we must insist on clean energy being used in these new buildings like Site C. In closing, though, I would like to remind you of the initial recommendations provided by this panel, or a panel, on March 27, 2019, for battery lane development. And it said, provide an urban design vision for the entire street, from Woodmont Avenue to Old Georgetown Road, incorporate opportunities for deeper setbacks, increase canopy trees and plantings, and create a garden district that differentiates itself from the more urban areas in downtown Bethesda. This plan for Site C has strayed much too far from the original promise for our garden district battery lane, and it is imperative that a deeper setback be incorporated into this design C. Thank you for considering this problem. Thank you for your testimony. Um, Mr. Saeed? Saad? Yeah, that's me. Okay. Thank you. I'm sorry. Uh, for... uh, yeah, that, that's okay. Um, so I just want to express that I'm really disappointed uh, of the way that uh, other managements uh, communicate with us and the way they notify us. I personally see the notification about this meeting just a week ago. Uh, and also, I want to know how they're going to manage uh, to help us relocate. Uh, and that's all. That's all from me. And also, I, I sent uh, a letter, a written testimony, uh, I think two days ago, with, with more details. Yes. You 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 uh, you're muted. Are you done? Sorry. Yeah, I'm done. Okay. Thank you very much. We we did get some testimony. I think that's correct. Oh, um, uh, if the applicant would like to come up and respond as you wish to the staff and the testimony. Good morning, Nancy Reglin, Shulman Rogers, zoning attorney for Brown Development. Um, we're here today with Doug Wren, who is from the applicant Brown Development and Alden Properties, and uh, Bob Graham from Rogers, who has some images that he'll run that section of it, plus our entire project team is in the rows behind you, so we're ready to present what we thought we would do today um, because the applicant is in support of the conditions that have been provided by the, app, uh, by the staff, so we're all good with that, but we thought perhaps we would send you on a pedestrian tour around the entire building so that you get the pedestrian view of some of the other sides of the building that you don't see in the staff report. So it's only a couple of slides, but I think it'll address the frontage 
issue a little bit that the setback um, that concern and give you a little bit more close-up view of what that front of that building looks like at the pedestrian level Well, while Bob is getting everything in place. Um, so is it, yeah, coming up? Um, let me there thank the, uh, the planning board. Uh, we're very excited to be here today. It's uh, been an interesting journey. Um, going if you could this. be excited closer to the mic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sure. Is that better? Yes. Okay. Well, I was just saying, I just want to express how happy we are to be here today uh, with the planning board with this uh, first phase of our comprehensive redevelopment plan that was included in the sketch uh, plan that was noted earlier. Um, so it's been an interesting journey as we have evolved from our sketch plan to now our first phase site plan. I want to thank the planning staff for their hard work and good input as well as the design advisory panel. Um, we thought we had a really good concept but it got greatly improved through the process of working with your staff and that design advisory panel. Um, so uh, the staff report was very uh, comprehensive in the presentation today. I think gave everybody a really good sense of what we were proposing. Um, but as Nancy said, we want to focus just on a few um, images that I think try to capture the experience that one will have once this is constructed and, and is occupied with, with residents and how it fits within this uh, Battery Lane neighborhood. So can we go to the next one? So this is just the site plan itself that's been presented to you. Um, we take the accessibility very seriously. Um, it's really all about connectivity in our opinion, the physical connectivity that uh, is provided by the, uh, the bike lanes and the uh, through block connections. Social connectivity, we're placing buildings that really have no meeting space or places for social interaction other than very small lobbies. Uh, with this new building, we'll have both exterior and interior uh, opportunities to encourage that type of social uh, interaction. And then environmental connectivity, that the improvements we'll make to this site um, will, we feel, improve the overall environmental uh, protection that will take place from this development. Next one. So here we are at the front door. Um, and while there's been some discussion of the setback, um, at both ends of the building, the uh, building angles to the center where this entrance is. And the lobby uh, entrance itself is recessed. And by doing that, we're able to create a, uh, a front porch. And that's what you see here. If we want to engage with the, uh, the pedestrian and the public realm um, all the way out to the street, uh, introducing landscaping and the streetscape um, that's recommended. But beyond that, to really show a glass facade. So as you walk by, you see into the lobby, you see through into the courtyard that's beyond that, as the staff has noted. Um, we want it to be very welcoming. Next. So now we're at the uh, western edge looking back, uh, again, just showing what this frontage experience will be like um, and how it relates uh, to the front of our building, the sidewalk, the street trees, and you can see the, the bikeway that uh, will be protected from the vehicular lanes on battery. Go ahead. 
And now we're on the, the west through block. Um, and again, you can see the, the tower of the building. And as you head to the south, you can see how it steps down to the two-story units that have, provide porches and doors right out onto this uh, new um, pedestrian walkway. And now to the south side, and again, we want to create um, really multi-purpose green spaces. They allow residents in the community to decide how to utilize these and can change over time. Um, but again, trying to introduce um, trees and, uh, and green space uh, as much as possible, um, particularly on this south side, if you will, uh, exposure that uh, we think will really be a, a, a wonderful amenity uh, for everybody. And now we're, this, you're up a little bit of a bird's eye view down uh, the south side of the building. Um, so you're looking really from rugby, and you can see the amenity spaces that we have above the parking. Um, and the courtyard then is at the lobby level um, and it connected right into the lobby. And, and again, so I think you can begin to understand that we really think that it's important um, to provide Battery Lane in this neighborhood with um, green, with uh, air, with light, and with spaces that uh, can be uh, utilized in a number of ways. And now we're at the, the final um, view uh, from the southeast. Um, and again, you can see the commitment we're making to, uh, to green and to trees. and. Um, provide for the, really, the connectivity that, uh, that we think will improve the overall neighborhood. So, Doug, this might be a good time to mention, because that was the view from uh, the rugby connection, right. your interaction with the county. Yes. Um, we recognize that that it is an important uh, access point, the one that exists today where the police station was relocated, um, and that it could be improved. So I. Uh, met with several county staff, um, including the regional center director, Peter Fosselman, um, and um, met with Andrew Friedson and Cindy Gibson to talk about whether the county would be willing to step up and look at improving their side of that connection so that it would, be, it would more mirror what we're doing uh, through our through block. And they were receptive to that. We <clears throat> followed up with a meeting that uh, Mr. Fosselman uh, convened that included the commander of the Bethesda Police Station um, and their facilities uh, planner. Um, both were receptive to rethinking and perhaps redesigning this connection to make it wider and more inviting. Um, so we're continuing to work with them on that. Um, ultimately, hopefully, this will result in a CIP item that will address this need to upgrade this pedestrian connection. So. Commissioner Panera has a question. Yes, hi. Uh, thank you very much for your presentation. I think this looks like a very nice uh, project altogether. Uh, regarding the concerns that we heard from the speaker, and also we, we did get a letter from Mr. Fetchko, uh, about the frontage, the uh, I have kind of a question. How how wide is it from the building to the let's say to the street right now? Not just in the entrance of the building, but altogether, you know, what is the uh, 
the the width of that um, frontage. So I'll jump in real quick here. Um, so as uh, the staff indicated and Mr. Wren, the corners of the building, the far east and the far right, are the closest to the sidewalk and the right of way. So they're 20 feet away. That includes the green space, the sidewalk, and uh, then the building, a little distance to the building. That's the closest point. Then the building, it angles towards the front porch. The front porch is somewhere between 35 and 52% of the facade of the building, and it is set back. So by the time you get to the front door, you're 45 feet from the curb, you're 65 feet from the travel lane. So there's lots of wide open space between the front door and uh, the sidewalk at this point. And you can see from this image, the idea is to keep a wide open plaza there. So there is about 35 feet from the sidewalk to that front door. And it's a um, program space, meaning there's chairs and things to bring people out from the building to actually activate that front. And the lobby is two stories. So you can actually, if you look closely at this photo, you can look through into the interior courtyard, which is landscaped, and you can actually look at the second level and see the sky beyond from the second level amenity deck where the pool is. So it's a very open, porous section, a little bit more than a third of the facade of the building to almost half of the facade of the building is wide open. Okay. I see. Okay. Well, that that's uh, I, I appreciate that comment. Um, it's just that the speaker, uh, the one of the speakers that spoke uh, earlier, said that the in the case of the forty nine oh one, the one across the street, the frontage was only the setback was only twelve feet. So I'm, I mean, I'm hearing from you that the minimum is going to be twenty feet. Um, so that. I mean, I and I guess the DAP also uh, saw this, and they they basically said they were fine with it. My question is that in in the image I'm seeing, the uh, there will be kind of that, let's say that grass grass area. Is there a possibility of planting some trees on that grass areas? Are you thinking of that? So. Yeah. With Rogers Consulting for the record. Um, yes, our landscape architect has incorporated trees into each one of these bio boxes. Pressure button. Oh, you did. I did. Oh, All right. Thank you. But the, the bio boxes are, are closer to the building. What I'm looking is at the grass area where I see some. With landscape uh, trees, yes. You know, yeah, there are street trees, Mr. Panero, the entire length of the frontage of this site. We've got a, it, you may not be able to see it on this because oftentimes architects take leeway with landscaping so that we can all see, see. <laughs> the architecture. But uh, actually, there is street trees all along the front of the site. Okay. Well, good, I'm thinking about, morning. you know, the pedestrian, there you whether go. it's amenable to, uh, you know, for pedestrian access. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Uh, Commissioner Hill. Yeah, just to pick up on that frontage and the greenery idea, I'm uh, looking at page 22 in the cross section that really is describing the bikeway. And um, I'm wondering if there's an opportunity missed here for perviousness with the strip between the bikeway and the street. 
Um, it seems to me that could be grass. Maybe that's the utility right of it. I don't know, but that's my question. We are right with you, but <laughs> Montgomery County DOT is not. Um, on top of that, there is utilities underneath Battery Lane at that point, so we can't plant any trees in that median, and MCDOT doesn't want it to be green. It wants it to be um, passable. Low, ma low maintenance. Low maintenance. And we have placed a, a new by, uh, bus shelter, so this allows that entire median to be walkable as well for wherever the crosswalk may be from 4901 people will be able to cross over to that new bus stop. So, okay. unfortunately, we were originally showing this as green, you know, triple <laughs> canopy corridor. Right. But uh, it, it struck me as a space between two curves because it's described as a barrier, but it's not very tall. And, uh, yeah, it, seemed like no, it would be beautiful, but. Okay, then we've, DOT. We've, we've pushed it as far as we can push it. And okay. Um, well, I've got the floor. Um, this is probably a question for staff because it really goes off-site, but um, I'm always looking at the effectiveness of our connections, and we have a problem with the three-street connections because they don't line up. But looking at a crystal ball, it seems like it would be opportune, and I appreciate, again, MCDOT will determine where the crosswalk goes, but it seems like lining that up across the street and having it join wherever it meets this frontage is the likely outcome of that. I, so I, I think as the applicant has indicated, there's a lot happening uh, on battery lane between the curbs. And so I, I think while what you're suggesting may be, you know, a, a very good idea, I think we'll have to make sure that it meets all of the other, all of the other requirements. So I, I couldn't guarantee, but I think, you know, we would certainly be, you know, pushing for the option that made the connection most simply. Right. Other considerations would be like clearance to the corner and another crosswalk sort of thing. Right. And, yeah. And it strikes me then going south instead of north here that it really is an optimal situation to have the south walkway that could connect wherever it does through to the next block, right? That it may be a circuitous route to, to come in and go and then change again, but it, it's viable as a, as a useful way. People just need to understand that they, uh, it doesn't go straight through. The users, that is. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, through block connections can be challenging, particularly on a block like this that's so deep. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, and I'll defer to the to the applicant uh, and and to the to the rest of the uh, staff team. I think you know the, the southern connection provides sort of a, a nice east-west. It gives you another option. So if you're coming from the west and you're going to the east, you you have that other that other option in terms of whether that you know the, the sector plan didn't recommend sort of the east-west mid-block. Um, you know th those can become more challenging. But but I think as a way to connect the west and the eastern opportunities here, I think especially with the fantastic amenities that the applicant is proposing, I think that that southern uh, that southern connection provides a lot of amenity. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm after the flexibility of whatever meets up with the next block can connect right. into that and, and that's create true. the throughway. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, I think okay. that's a perspective. Mr. Branson. Um, I have a few questions, mostly about uh, livability. Um, first, uh, want to be clear that this is a hundred percent rental. Is that there's no opportunity for ownership in this building? At this point, it's a rental. It's proposed as a rental. Um, wondering what the um, you know one of our speakers. Uh, 
mentioned uh, tenant relocation. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in how you all are going to address that. Um, also concerned about the parking spaces and their allocation. Um, I assume there, for some reason, there are parking spaces in this building, right? Correct. There's 213 spaces. They're unbundled, okay. so they're not required as part of your rental agreement. So, and and that that brings me, yeah, that's what I thought I read, that there were uh, 300 and some units and 200 and some parking spaces, and part of this is, um, and there's 15% MPDUs. So, you know, what I'm concerned about is that distribution. You know, whether the, the folks who are in the MPD units uh, will have access, to, will, will, will also have access to the parking space. Are they going to be assigned? I mean, how, how is that all going to work? Because to me, you know, that is a question of equity, you know, whether or not people who have the MPD units will be um, assigned parking, however you all are going to do it. Um, and then... Um, then I'm also concerned about the green space I saw. Um, uh, I think you called it the open green space. Uh, and, you know, whether there's going to be um, um, some, you know, <laughs> um, you know I, I keep coming back to this with all these buildings, but, like, where are the kids going to play? You know, um, I, this, this, you know, is a lovely lawn, um, but, you know, you don't get a whole lot of kids playing on a lawn, you know, a, 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 a playground equipment can be good. So, um, and, and since this is, you know, since this is 15% MPDU and, and since one of the things you're, you're suggesting um, is that um, there will be public access to some, at some point, um, you know, I'm I'm concerned about about how that green space can or will or may be used by the public. So that's a whole bunch of questions. So feel free to jump in. <laughs> yeah. All right. If I miss any of them, please yeah. remind me. <laughs> um, let's talk about parking first, which is um, it does have reduced parking here. That's one of the goals of the Bethesda Master Plan is to reduce the parking. So it is reduced. There's only 213 spaces for the 315 units, but they are unbundled, meaning they're not assigned to any unit. So whether you're an MPDU tenant or whether you're a market rate tenant, you have the same ability to uh, get a, you know, rent a parking space if you want one. And if you don't need one, you don't rent one. Otherwise, this site is in particular has the advantage of being within 2,000, 2,400 feet of two metro stations, as well as having a the trolley that goes around the, uh, that takes you to the metro station with a stop almost in front of the door. Uh, and so it, it has a lot of mobility and connectivity for people who don't want to have cars. So we think that's great. Um, the second thing is you asked about um, MPDUs in particular, I just want to bring one thing out that may be not clear. What's unusual about this project is there's going to be 29 three-bedroom units when it's done, and four of those will be MPDUs. Like, oftentimes you've seen a lot of projects come through Bethesda, and they're very heavy on studios and heavy on one-bedrooms. This is almost the exact opposite. This is 
heavy on three bedrooms, really heavy on two bedrooms, then one bedrooms. And the studios are the smallest percentage, only 7.9%. The studios are the smallest. And you can see how this was designed. You don't get this much green space around any other development where there's these open play areas or an unstructured you know, open area where if pickleball is the most important thing in any particular generation, that could be the pickleball court. Or if there's something else that comes up that would be great for that east side unstructured lawn space, something else could go there, a recreational. Um, the second floor amenity space, you were asking about children, like there are community gardens down there in that southeast corner and they're fairly significant. There's a green space up on that amenity level as well. There's play areas. There are indoor uh, fitness areas for various ages also in the building. Um, and there's a rooftop uh, playroom. I don't wanna say it's a playroom, it's a party room, I guess, is what you would call. So there's also a rooftop amenity space. Um, but even just, I'm just thinking growing up with my own children, like to be able to take them in their little bikes around the full length of the through block connections and around back to the front door on this one site is fabulous to be able to do it all on your own site in a protected uh, area. So there's quite a few um, areas, including uh, the back there's two dog runs, so if you want to entertain your children <laughs> to watch the dogs play, there's a big dog and a small dog play area here, um, and the pools, of course, and uh, some, you know, indoor rooms. But could, could I yeah, sorry. Good morning, for the record, Trina Rodriguez, um, Parker Rodriguez, the landscape architect. Um, I know you mentioned um, also playground, and there is actually a very large playground on the on the park next door. You actually can see it even on the slide. So what we were trying to do was to provide a variety of amenities that, that were different, that would complement what was already there, which is this park. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful uh, playground that, you know, that's, we see the community sort of interacting, you know, with neighbors, um, you know, and we are providing additional spaces for the community to interact together. So I think that's, that's the idea. And we do have those two large open green areas that, that we've said, you know, and I think Nancy described it pretty well, is that things do change over time. You know, like right now, pickleball is the big thing. I mean, and we tested it and it can fit or it cannot if that's not what we want to do. But so there is a lot of flexibility and opportunity created in this, um, in this plan. Commissioner Pinero, you have yes. your I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. They didn't answer my yes. question about um, Senate relocation. Yeah. So oh, actually, okay. that was, that, my, that was my question, too. Yeah. So the Montgomery County Code, Section 53A, does provide, and the regulations related to it, provides the required relocation assistance when a rental facility is being uh, terminated, which is called converted, which actually is redevelopment, is a conversion. So part of what a tenant gets by law is a minimum of 120 days notice, and then they get a payment, a relocation assistance payment that's equal to two months' rent. And they have the ability, once they get the notice, that they can move on 30 days' notice. They don't have to stay the full 120 days. So the applicant met with their tenants before the sketch plan and talked about 
what relocation assistance. They talked to them before the preliminary plan, and they talked to them before the sketch plan, specifically on Site C in the lobby for these tenants. Not all tenants uh, attended. So we understand there could be questions because new tenants come in all the time or they weren't at any of these meetings. This applicant is got a unique position in the marketplace because they're not taking down one building and have no place to put anyone else. They have five other buildings on this street itself in similarly sized units in the similar location at similar rents. Um, and so they have the ability to relocate tenants very close to this site. Um, and in fact, what's interesting is their partner, HOC, has actually instituted 20%, uh, probably about 60 units on Battery Lane in their buildings, uh, which are at 50% AMI. So it's not an MPDU program, and it's not a program that there's a queue from it for a voucher program under HOC. So if any of these tenants actually ha are income qualified, those uh, units also could be available to them at the time uh, that they need relocation. So there's lots of opportunities here for relocation that are within the control of this particular applicant that most applicants don't have that ability to do. So we have told the, t the tenants that when we know, at least six months in advance, because there's going to be permitting that has to go on, we'll know six months in advance before there's going to be any demolition activity here, that we will give them notice and we will start meeting with them one-on-one -on -one to see what their specific needs are and be able to then match them over that six months to whatever is their desire to move out of Alden properties or to actually relocate into a property that Alden management manages. Now, Commissioner Panero. If oh, still. well, um, I think Commissioner Branson and your response is, is very adequate. Um, I'm glad that, you know, you had that initial meeting and that you're going to do one-on-one -on -one later on six months before uh, demolition and that you, you're working with um, also, you know, providing opportunities for people to to do the, um, to go to HOC if, if they qualify. Um, so I think it's important, you know, to continue communicating, uh, partly because we heard from Mr. Mohammed. He said, you know, he didn't know about this meeting until a week before. So it's important to keep this communication so that, you know, you communicate the um, the opportunities and the subsidies and the, 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 the fact that they're going to be getting some funding for relocation. I have another question which has to do with the MPDUs. You know, a decision was made by a previous board that you would have a 20% MPDU, MPDUs throughout the, I guess, the five sites that you're going to be redeveloping. And those, you're, you're coming up now with four, and the fact that you're doing 15% now, MPDU means that you're going to have to do more on the other properties. Um, and I know that, you know, you're not really coming up with site plans for the next, for the other three, and I guess in the future you'll be doing the fourth one additional. But, I mean, you, you, you're you definitely aware that you're going to have to put more MPD use on the other properties. And I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about 
you know, concentrating more MPDUs in one or two specific properties. How, why did you decide to do the 15% rather than 20% now? So when the sketch plan for all six of the existing buildings was comprehensively planned, they were looked at individually. And some of these buildings are larger than others. Like Site B, which is next to Woodmont Avenue, is you know potentially up to 16 stories. And Site D also is potentially uh, two buildings, including a high rise. And we looked at all of them and said, OK, what makes sense? Because we want to do more than the required 15%. So the goal was to do 20%. What which of these buildings could we do um, either with a partner, a, an affordable housing partner, some additional affordable housing that would be at a higher rate? So that the average mm -hmm. over all of the sites when we're done would be 20%. And so it was very detailed, looked at, and analyzed, and it was figured out where it was. C happens to be in the sketch plan one of the ones that was 15%, which is the current code. And if you, right now, but Battery Lane has zero. There are no MPDUs on Battery Lane. There haven't been uh, since, since, you know, Things started getting built in the 50s here. So this will bring, you know, the first MPDUs to Battery Lane. Um, and and I, I would also just add that the as uh, as Adam mentioned, the sketch plan approval included a condition that specified the minimum MPDU percentage for each of the phases. Uh, and so I think uh, Adam can give the chapter and verse, but the planning board at the time approved the minimum for each of the uh, buildings, each of the sites covered by that sketch plan. And I believe the maximum okay. that you have is 25% on any of the sites. Uh, that's correct. If, and I'll let the applicant correct me if it, I'm wrong. But that's I, correct. 25% in uh, site B and site D. And, and there are other advantages to doing 25% for impact There are, plus the entire financing to, to get a partner, an affordable housing partner, and to, to be able to use some low-income tax credit. You know, like you need to get to a certain percentage so it makes sense. So right. those were all factored in right. to figure out where could we do more and do it effectively and financially. And you know, and do the minimum everywhere else. So, so that the overall average was 20%, which was higher in. Okay, if, if the other okay. commissioners are done, I have a couple of questions for yep. staff. Um, on page four of, of your memo that we got, uh, the title under 6A1 is minimum parking, yet what you have is maximum parking. So uh, I believe that the wording there for minimum parking is just the, the category for the public benefit. I'm sorry, the subcategory under connectivity between uses, activities, mobility options. Um, oh, so it's minimized parking. Correct. <laughs> okay, my fault. Um, uh, uh, on uh, 6B1, you have at least 29 efficiency units. I wouldn't care if they had fewer 
efficiency units, so why do we have an at least? I realize that the numbers add up to 315, but I see no reason to regulate a minimum number of efficiency units, maybe a maximum number of efficiency units, but not a minimum number. It, so the, the, the details of, uh, of this would be in the findings, so give us a minute and we'll, we'll dig down unless uh, Stephanie uh, Dickel, regulatory supervisor, is uh, under the weather and is participating virtually. If she has the answer off the top of her head, she's welcome to provide it at this time, but otherwise uh, give us a minute. Yeah, in the, hi, sorry, Stephanie Dickel, regulatory supervisor, for the record, there's a minimum, there's a percentage that is required in the CR guidelines, and so they, so to meet that, the, the minimum is the number that's in the condition, there's and it's based off of the calculation that is in the CR guidelines. We providing 7.9% studios and 7.5 is the minimum. So we that's why we have the number of studios we have in order to meet the minimum for the diversity of use category. It, Sorry. Uh, it boggles my mind that we have a minimum <laughs> for efficiencies. But if we do, we do. We do. <laughs> okay. Um, anybody have anything else? No. Oh. I just have one comment, Mr. Chairman, which is there seems to be a dispute about whether this meets the design guidelines or not, and I can just only speak for myself here, but I will defer to the design advisory panel specialists on this. I have no reason to replace their judgment with uh, whether this meets it or not. Okay. I'll entertain a motion. Mr. Chair, I move, so move the, Mr. You, you move the recommendation of staff as, as proposed? Yes. Do I hear a second? Second. Oh. Thank you. Hearing no further discussion, all those in favor say aye. 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 You got them all. Thank you. Thank you for working through the process and all the... Situations. I'd like to just comment for uh, just a moment. Uh, the 14% uh, green space area over the 5% requirement I think is really admirable here. And I really like the townhouse side of this. I, I like that as a solution so we don't end up with these really big buildings that have just, you know, walls that go on in deep lots. And that's a nice way to activate the sides of that. And to the extent that we can encourage those, I would be in favor of. Especially a through block connection where you really want people's yeah. eyes no, on that. You're still walking by a wall, you're walking by something activated. Isn't it nice to w walk away yeah. with good comments? Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, we have to wait to the next session.
Good morning. This is still February 16th, 2023, planning board session. We are on item 6, uh, 7340 Wisconsin Avenue sketch plan amendment. Um, I have been told by staff that the, um, that the uh, applicant wishes to propose a continuance on this, on this item. There, this is a public hearing for which there are no speakers, but we'll hear from the applicant first. Uh, Ms. Harris. Thank you. For the record, Pat Harris with Lertrell and Brewer on behalf of the applicant, Graystar Development East LLC, who is also the contract purchaser of the subject property at 7340 Wisconsin Avenue. Uh, it is necessary for the buyer and the seller to work out several contractual issues before this item goes to the planning board. We are hopeful that we would be able to resolve those issues prior to today, but unfortunately that was not the case. The applicant fully expects, however, that these issues will be worked out by the end of next month, and therefore we respectfully request a continuance to the March 30th planning board hearing date, assuming that there is time on that agenda. Thank you. Given that we haven't worked out the March 30th agenda yet, um, uh, and uh, do, should we go to a time certain if we grant the continuance? So uh, Ali Myers, Office of General Counsel, when the board um, grants a continuance, it can um, announce the the date of the continued hearing on the record, and if that occurs, then no further notice is needed. Um, but the board can also grant um, a continuance generally, but if that happens, notice would need to be provided of that continued date in accordance with the board's rules of procedure. Which is fine, which just means we republish the, um, the staff report and, and do it for the March 30th. That's, that's, that's correct. Okay. I uh, will entertain a motion from the board. Can I clarify something with uh, council too, which is what's the relationship between this continuance and an extension? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, so an extension, it would be filed, um, Essentially, an extension would have been filed uh, for this case, I understand, were it um, able to be filed within the, the time period allowed, but because that did not occur um, in, in place of uh, an extension, essentially, um, if the board were to grant a continuance, that would be in place of the hearing date extension. An extension occurs before the public meeting is, public hearing is convened. Uh, if you want to do it, once it's convened, it's a continuance. The, the effect is the same. The difference here is that no extension was filed. If we don't grant the continuance, the, the, uh, the plan will expire unless we Mr. took Chair. action on it. So, Mr. Chair, I will move that we continue the action at 7340 Wisconsin Avenue, which is sketch plan 3202001A and plan amendment 1199468. 80C also with the uh, stipulation that if this does not come back for the March 3rd meeting 30th, that we 30th on March 30th, 30th. That, um, that we uh, we move into an extension situation further. Second, I, be, be, before before we 
go further, I need to understand from council whether we can do that. Yes, if I could have a little more clarity, Commissioner Hill, on what you mean by go into an extension. My, my intention here is that um, we don't just end up in a situation where we're, we're continuing this at meeting after meeting, that we should know before March 30th whether or not we will meet that deadline, and if not, I think an extension is appropriate. The applicant would have to apply for that extension. Yes. That's, that's correct, and, and um, I think that perhaps functions better as a suggestion to the applicant. Perhaps the applicant can, can acknowledge that. I don't know that we would stipulate in a motion for the continuance. Um, uh. So I... Here's my premise. We're saying that we're expecting to hit a target date, and if we don't make that agenda, we should know about that beforehand, and that would seem to me to fit into an extension requirement. Can, can I make a suggestion? I, I, I think for the reasons stated, an, a, a regulatory extension as allowed in the code is no longer possible because the extension uh, period will have elapsed, I don't know, today. So, so we can't link those so, together. So, we, yeah, so okay. by doing a continuance, we've begun the hearing. What I might suggest is that uh, the application could go forward on the 30th, you know, period. I think, I think, right. I think you could say you wouldn't want to do a further continuance. I think that may be an appropriate way of doing it. I would agree that that's an appropriate solution and hopefully addresses your concern. Okay. So um, March 30th <clears throat> and no further con continuances would be expected. Remember, you're my, binding my, my a motion, board. My motion is March 30th. I don't okay. think we should oh, predict March, into the fine. future um, what happens on March 30th okay. except the requirement. Uh, Commissioner Presley. Yeah, I just had a question whether or not the applicant is stating that March 30th is sufficient because I don't want to find us in a situation where we've expanded the time and then there's no other recourse. So uh, if we're trying to accommodate this, is that sufficient time? And I believe that it is. Having said that, in the world of land use, one can never totally predict anything. So I would like to suggest that there just simply be a continuance to March 30th. And then I believe Commissioner Hill sort of alluded to this. If in the remote chance that is not a sufficient date, we'll deal with it at that time and a determination can be made as to what needs to happen. But that at this point in time, we don't preclude the possibility of a further extent uh, continuance. My but I don't anticipate one. My understanding from Elsa is that we would have exhausted the the uh, legal options for that. Is that true, Elsa? Exhausted not for the, a continuance. The, 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 the extension can, we would not be permitted okay. to do. But we could, in fact, do another continuance if we had to. If, if there were votes for it. <laughs> uh, my okay. motion. I just yeah. met, you know, my yeah. motion is to continue okay. until March 30th period and not engage okay. extension consideration that I brought up. Yeah, and I second okay. that. Okay, then I'll continue. All right, and we have a second for uh, all those in favor. Say aye. 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 No one's opposed. Okay, congratulations. Thank you. you have a continuance. Thank you. Thank you.
Good morning. It's February 16, 2023. This is the planning board on item 7, University Boulevard Carter plan. Uh, the staff is asking the board for approval of the scope of work, and I'll turn it over to staff. Good morning. Uh, Carrie Sanders for the record, Chief of Mid-County Planning. Um, pleased to bring this to you today. Um, we are at the beginning of the plan process of the University Boulevard Corridor Plan, and this is really the first step to um, have the board receive the scope um, and approve the scope um, for the master plan. So with that, I will turn it over to our project manager, Nkosi Yearwood. Uh, Mr. Chairman, board, board members, good morning, Nkosi Yearwood for the record. Um, along with me uh, today is to my right, um, Zubin Adrian Vela, and to my left, uh, Jessica McVeary, uh, Master Supervisor. So um, this item, as Ms. Sanders noted, is a scope of work for um, University Boulevard plan. And this is a new plan for this area. Um, it'd be comprehensively done looking at the built environment, natural environment, environmental resources, uh, land use and zoning, uh, everything that we typically do when we do uh, a new plan. Clearly the general plan provides us uh, new directions regarding corridors and we'll be uh, digging into that as we uh, work on this project. So I was noted, I was noted, noted earlier that uh, the scope of work is one of the early stops we make when we start working on a plan uh, to come to the board to provide sort of broad direction regarding the, the plan boundary, the issues that we'll address, um, the staff memorandum that you have gets into greater detail on that, but this is one of the, uh, the first uh, sort of checkpoints with the board. Um, the boundary that's shown on the screen is a new boundary. Um, it, we were looking at University Boulevard essentially between the edge of 495, the Beltway, going into um, the edge of the Wheaton Central Business District on Amherst. So it's roughly 3.5 miles. Um, what, when we set this boundary, really wanted to look at an area where we have not done a lot of work in many years. Um, we also wanted to follow the 2013 functional plan for um, countywide BRT, um, which University Boulevard is one of those routes. And we also wanted, in terms of how we set the edges, really to look at um, the institutional properties that are there. We have a variety of churches, um, variety of religious institutions, not only churches, but also public facilities as well. So um, the boundary goes at, at most times uh, two blocks off the corridor. That allows us to really provide greater depth of flexibility if there will be any land use and zoning. Uh, interventions to really examine what will happen in the context of, of those recommendations that we could potentially pursue. So that's how um, we landed on, on the, the dark lines that you can see. We didn't go deep into the residential communities. We really wanted to be um, acknowledge them for what they are, but also to really address, as I noted, uh, the public facilities as well as providing continuity of, of examination of um, the corridor, as well as the BRT stops that are proposed um, in the functional plan. Um, we're also looking at um, sort of three distinct phases of University Boulevard. Um, so this will be essentially the first cut. Um, our colleagues in the down county area will be tackling later this year and coming to you, um, the area south of the Beltway going into the Long Branch area. 
And the notion is that in the future, we will be doing another phase that will go from Wheaton going into Kensington, where, Kensington, where University Boulevard gets into with uh, our, um, Connecticut Avenue. So that's sort of things to follow. So in terms of features, um, as I noted earlier, land use zoning, housing, um, mobility will be a key aspect to our work here. This is um, a high injury network in terms of from Vision Zero perspective. Um, so we'll be looking uh, pedestrian improvements, bicycle accommodation will be some of the big things in terms of um, our work on, on this corridor. Environmental sustainability with climate action plan was recently approved by the executive. Um, historic resources will be examined. Uh, urban design, uh, much of the older plans do not address urban design. Um, parks and open spaces, we're fortunate to have a variety of uh, parks in the, along the corridor. And then community facilities um, as well. So those will be some of the, the main topics the, the plan will uh, get into. Um, as I hinted at, um, some of the older plans go back to the 1980s in this area. Um, uh, the most recent one that was done was the Wheaton CBD, uh, which is shown here in this uh, sort of greenish color. Um, but some of the plan for master plan for Kansas and Wheaton was from 89. We do have the Kemp Mill plan shown here in purple, um, and then Four Corners from 96 and Silver Spring East further down. The blue line is the proposed plan boundary. So there are a lot of things that we've done as a department um, since the 80s or the, the early 2000s. So we'll be dealing with that as we sort of move forward. At, at a high level, um, the corridor is roughly 3.5 miles from the Beltway to Amherst, six lanes primarily, um, with turn lanes at most uh, intersections. Uh, we do have a median. Uh, in most of it. Um, the posted speed limit was reduced um, within the last couple of years by the state and county as part of their Vision Zero efforts along the corridor to 35. Um, we do have available transit uh, right on at a variety of routes that serve the adjacent neighborhoods as well as uh, University Boulevard and then Metro C2, C4 routes that go into um, M&A theater from here from Whedon going into Prince George's County into Hyattsville or into uh, Greenbelt area. Uh, bike lanes, we have none. There was a pilot project the state did um, between summer of uh, 21, 2021 into December, and that was removed. Um, we do have sidewalks, primarily adjacent to the roadway. Um, in the Four Corners area by Blair, we have a greater setback um, because that was, that was not too long ago done. And uh, state controlled roadway. Um, Maryland Department of Transportation has a great voice in this matter, and we've been collaborating and discuss, having discussions with them as well as our, our partners at uh, Montgomery County Department of Transportation as we develop this plan. So, a corridor plan um, is something that the department has done um, in several uh, iterations over in the past. Um, it typically is a linear oriented um, planning effort that. A lot of times looks at transportation elements such as um, either transportation, either transit, every rail, light rail, et cetera. Um, at least as a department, we have done the first mayor plan um, from not too long ago um, between Edge of Hare and Wheaton going into Rockville, um, Forest Glen, Montgomery Hills on Georgia Avenue, 
Um, so those are those two examples, and then some others in the White Flint area, North Bethesda area, we've done work on 55, as well as up in the Shady Grove area for for Frederick Road. So we've had some some experiences as a department putting together these uh, corridor plans. Um, in terms of existing land uses that we have today, um, the image on the right gives you broad categories in terms of office, retail, um, in, institutional uses, etc. Um, we also have a, a very significant amount of housing, single-family housing. We do have some multifamily at the intersection at Arcola and uh, University. Those were built in the 60s, um, University Towers and the Warwick. Um, we do have, as I noted earlier, um, schools such as here at Northwood, Blair, um, Pinecrest Elementary, um, it's in some other institutional uses, such as uh, Collins Funeral Home at, a, at the intersection of Dennis and University Boulevard. But townhouses, we have some pockets of them along the corridor as well. Um, residential has been a feature here since the early 1900s. Uh, a bit on zoning, um, much of the single-family uh, properties are in the R60 or R90 zones. That's 6,000 square foot minimum lot size or 9,000. We do have the multifamily zones for the Warwick and um, University Towers. Um, we have some older planned development zone or PD zones that came um, in. And as part of the zoning rewrite in 2014, the countywide uh, district amendment introduced commercial residential town for the area at Four Corners, or well, much of the commercial properties are in that zone. Um, and then you have some neighborhood retail here along the Kemp Mill area and Kemp Mill Shopping Center. Um, so as we get into um, this effort, we'll be trying to make recommendations as we move forward regarding where to confirm, where to change, um, et cetera. Um, some of the zones will have to change because of the 2014 district map amendment, such as the planned development zones. So those will have to change us because of that requirement. A bit on the, the folks that live in this area. So it's a very diverse area, much like the rest of Montgomery County. Um, we have a sizable percentage of Latino or Hispanic population, African-Americans, um, et cetera. And as part of our um, sort of initial engagement, we've been trying to make inroads to meet uh, those specific communities and others um, regarding information sharing on a plan and bringing people um, to the table to have uh, conversations in terms of the work that we'll be putting together. So this slide um, highlights a variety of things in terms of broad framework items that um, we will be tackling as um, part of this project. Um, so I noted a functional plan that in 2013, we have the new zoning ordinance, Vision Zero, uh, the bicycle master plan, pedestrian level of comfort, Racial equity and social justice approved by the council in 2019, the climate action plan, complete streets, the general plan from last year, and the pedestrian master plan. So all of these will be factored in as we develop um, our recommendations and, and all of them provide us uh, sort of starting points as we sort of building off from them in terms of putting the plan together. Um, this is um, from Tribe Montgomery 2050. And um, I just note in, in here, in terms of the light blue area, and this is text from um, the council um, clean copy language, 
um, that shows that this area here, just noted here in red, is part of that University Boulevard corridor. So it's, it's one of the good corridors. The good corridors are noted here in this dark line here, and obviously University Boulevard is one of them. Um, but also within the light area in terms of quarter-focused growth, the notion coming out from Thrive is that these are areas that already have some infrastructure in them and the places with existing employment, et cetera. Um, so we'll be working to figure out what's that right balance as we, we develop uh, recommendations moving forward. Um, a bit from the transit corridors plan, just showing the image here on the right, um, these circles are the proposed stops. So within the proposed plan area, we have the stops at Amherst, Inwood Avenue, Arcola Avenue, Dennis, and US 29. So those will be other areas that will be you know, confirming them, potentially making recommendations to adjust them if that's uh, feasible in terms of the work that we'll put together. Um, the functional plan also called for a variety of rights of ways along the corridor between 124. Um, that's primarily um, most of the corridor, and then also 150, that's primarily within the Wheaton area. Uh, it also calls for additional lane of tr transit. So we'll be looking at the right of way, looking at potential impacts, um, et cetera, and trying to minimize those impacts, again, as we develop our um, recommended option or alternatives as we develop the plan. Um, as I noted earlier, Vision Zero is, um, is something that's gonna be front and center of our efforts here. Um, this is from some work that was done by the planning department with input from others, um, showing information along the corridor from 2015, 2020, um, in terms of a variety of um, both pedestrian, bicyclists, um, vehicular um, crashes or injuries along this area, along portions of Route 20, um, US 29. Um, but Vision Zero is a strategy approved by the council several years back now committed by all agencies to have a commitment to achieving that, no um, elimination of uh, traffic fatalities and, and severe injuries on uh, roadways by 2030. So there's a lot of work to do to get there, but we'll be delving into that as we uh, develop this plan. Uh, public facilities are, uh, a variety of them are along the corridor, right adjacent to the existing, in, in the adjacent neighborhoods. Um, we, as I noted earlier, we have uh, Northwood High here, which will be redeveloped um, in the next couple of years. Um, Blair High, um, we do have a post office in uh, Four Corners, uh, fire station, as well as surrounding the, the proposed plan area, um, a variety of other uh, elementary schools or middle schools that are serving um, this area. Uh, in terms of parks, uh, we are fortunate to have a great uh, Saigo Creek Trail that's right to the west, uh, northwest branch to the east, and then within the plan area, um, Wheaton Forest, local park, Camp Mill, North Four Corners, um, and right adjacent to the plan area, we also have um, Indian Spring, which is right near to the Beltway. So um, a variety of parks, but as we develop um, future recommendations, we'll try to figure out where we could potentially get uh, some new open spaces um, in terms of properties that may redevelop over time. Um, so in terms of our work on this project, so we've, we've had um, a variety of um, public engagement so far. We've had a in-person meeting in November, a virtual meeting that followed. Um, these are images, these are photographs from that in-person meeting that was held at Blair 
Um, at that meeting, we provided um, attendees an option to sort of visually give us, you know, what we like to see along the corridor um, and visually identified in terms of preference to give us a starting point to think about what people are thinking about, uh, what are their issues and concerns. And then we've also had a lot of virtual conversations with uh, the county um, commission on people with disabilities. Um, it's a variety of stakeholders, such as University Towers, that's the, the high-rise building. Um, we've done some linkage and actually established some relationships with other county partners, including um, business liaison officers, to really go out with them and speak. And we had um, a couple of meetings so far. There's a photograph and one here with Daniel Corma, who's one of the county's business liaisons um, with one of the property um, be able to have a gym actually in the Four Corners area. Um, so, and we've continued to make efforts in terms of trying to get different venues to meet different people um, along the corridor. So in terms of what's gonna be happening in terms of future public meetings, so we're gonna have another one coming up on March 8th, and then following the next week, we'll have another virtual option. So we've done both in-person as well as virtual meetings. Um, and that's gonna be our strategy um, sort of moving forward on the bigger meetings. Um, and then we'll have smaller ones in terms of um, specific meetings with the Latino community. We're trying to set that up going forward. Um, that's probably gonna be on a Saturday in terms of timing, making that unique and different. Um, gonna have some individual sort of work, walking tours or workshops um, and potentially having within a multifamily building building the notions that have like planner hours where we would be there, people come in and ask those questions, et cetera. Um, as well as the other topics that are noted here, we'll be presenting those um, in terms of future public, public meetings. So I'll turn the presentation over to Zubin who will get highlight um, some of the, the responses that we've received so far in terms of the, um, what we've heard from the public. Uh, thank you, Ngozi. Uh, commissioners, for the record, uh, Zubin Adrianwala with Mid-County Planning. Uh, uh, what you see here uh, on your screens is uh, the analysis that we have done based on our public engagement. So our, our goal here throughout the plan is to be very rigorous about how we collect information and how we analyze it going forward. Uh, so this is just a snippet of that where you see uh, where people spoke to us, whether it was through online forums uh, in the online meeting uh, or in the in-person meeting where we had uh, cards where they could uh, write down their thoughts. So we recorded all of these. And uh, in analyzing what they spoke about the pedestrian environment, these are the 25 most frequently used words that we came across. Sorry. So yeah, what you can see here is, uh, you know, people speak a lot about uh, safety and bikes and pedestrian infrastructure. Uh, and again, this is uh, sort of sentiment coded. Uh, so we are analyzing uh, specific uh, references. So it's not just a collection of the words, but we are collecting the sentiments. Uh, next slide, please. Um, so similar example, uh, when people spoke about uh, support for bike infrastructure, uh, this is these are the words they typically used. And uh, I like to think of it as if you start like putting these words together, you can almost make a complete sentence out of them. Uh, and I think uh, going forward, as we go through more meetings, which Nkosi pointed out, we will update this uh, graphic. So this graphic is not a static graphic. It's gonna continue evolving as we go through this process because we'll have multiple engagement points. We'll collect a vast amount of data, and then this will keep feeding into this model, and we'll keep uh, 
upgrading uh, the kind of aggregate public perception about what they say to us. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, similarly, we also conducted uh, two surveys uh, in our initial public engagement and uh, the slide that NCOSI pointed out earlier where people were putting dots, it's a record of those dots as well as an online survey that we conducted during our virtual engagement. And you start to see what people are talking about when they talk about the, uh, about the plan area. Uh, wide sidewalks are uh, widely desired, uh, as are street trees. Uh, there's also a desire for more crosswalks. Uh, and then, of course, people are having conversations about protected bike lanes and slower traffic. So again, uh, to my earlier point, even this graphic will continue evolving with greater numbers as we have wider reach for this survey and talk to more people and ask for their input. So not a static uh, image, it will continue to evolve. Thank you. Commissioner Presley, did you have anything? Your hand was I, up. I lowered, my, I lowered my hand, question was answered. Okay, thank you. <laughs> So we recently had um, the Urban Land Institute National Organization um, utilize their expertise in terms of the technical assistance panel, which is a group of uh, roughly 10 professionals um, throughout the built environment, architects, planners, um, people who do transportation, transportation planners, economic analysis, et cetera, come in uh, last week. They did two days at compressed time, it's two days. Um, we typically give them four of these four questions that were asked um, from us to them, and then it provided us with a response. So um, there was a public presentation last Wednesday. There, there will be a more in-depth um, report that will come out uh, probably in March, and hopefully we'll, we'll have a more informal presentation to the board future of their findings as we sort of continue to build a plan. Um, but it's, a, it's really one of the um, resources we use, reviews it in other plans, to really get um, sort of additional expert analysis in the project as we sort of build things and, and, and point out things that we may want to consider as uh, we build and make the recommendations uh, sort of moving forward. Just want to note, um, that this uh, event took place last Wednesday. Um, so Excuse me, Commissioner Panero, you had something? Your hand is up. Uh, yeah, no, I, um, I was just going to make a comment that I think this is, uh, I mean, the beginning of a, a very needed um, plan. Uh, so it's only the beginning, and I'm glad that the ULI is involved. Um, but. You know, I had a question uh, in terms of how do you define what the corridor is? Because on, on the one hand, I, I, I see the need for transit. Uh, you know, I use University Boulevard all the time. And around four corners, the traffic is just uh, very difficult. Uh, but but I've, I've also seen that in the corridor, as you define the corridor, sometimes you go into certain neighborhoods like for example, when you go into Kemp Mill Shopping Center or Kemp Mill, in other in other areas, it stays very close to the to the avenue avenue itself. So I don't know to what extent you're going to be including uh, neighborhoods, uh, or it's just looking more into, like you said, the, the trade-off between bicycles and BRT and traffic and. Let me just I'll stop, stop there. Thank there you. There's the map that shows the the geography and where they'll examine yeah. all areas, in, including zoning. Uh, 
so that they do go into uh, a few blocks and uh, some cases off the street, but that's the map that they wish us to approve. Correct. And, and just to okay. note, on, on Kemp Mill, we were judicious uh, in making sure we, we stopped just by the shopping center because really couldn't, we, we have those multifamily properties um, right at the intersection. And yeah. it just made sense to really be a more inclusive um, as we address Northwood High, um, the senior, the uh, rehab facility, the family right across the street, and, and put all of those pieces together. Let me put in my, uh, my just uh, three cent into Kemmel uh, Shopping Center. Um, you know, the MVA Express moved from Glenmont to Kemp Mill. And I used to, uh, when I used the one in Glenmont, it was always crowded. A lot of Latinos going there. When I went to Kemp Mill Shopping Center, it was totally empty. It may have to do with the access, how you get there. Because, you know, in Glenmont, it was very close to the metro station. There were buses. It was very easy to get to. Now, it's it's a, I don't know why MBA Express moved there, but the a couple of times that I've gone, it's totally empty. So anyway, just put in my three cents there. Okay. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, in terms of our schedule, um, based on our, where we are today, we're going to continue working on this through the rest of this year. Um, we'll be coming to the board probably later fall, early winter, with uh, preliminary recommendations, slash working draft, et cetera. That's our target. Um, next year, county executive, as well as uh, county council in terms of the schedule that we have uh, right now. Um, so our recommendation is to approve the scope of work. There's much more in addition to this presentation in terms of the document that you have, our staff memo that covers a variety of other topics that we um, sort of, such as history, et cetera, um, of the area. So with that, um, we're here to answer any questions you may have. Commissioner Presley. No, oh, I'm sorry, I'm Vincent. Vincent. <laughs> oh, where is she? Okay, here we go. I keep, I keep telling you, just call me Commissioner Cherie. It's easier. Uh, it's better. Um, so I have a few questions. Um, uh, first of all, um, a correction. Uh, Daniel Caroma's name has, a, has one more O in it that you left out on your slides. It's K-O-R-O-M-A. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Um, he's the business liaison for the county. Okay, so I just, you know, just want you to correct it because, you know, um, I'm, I'm sure if he was here, he would, he would say that. Um, the, here, here are my questions. First of all, um, it wasn't clear to me where you're, I understand you're proceeding in sections of University Boulevard. So, you, you know, so, so as we, Look at the scope of work here. Which which section are you are you asking us to look at, or a particular section, or just the whole concept of sections? I I know, but it doesn't make any sense to me, Jack, because I can't figure out what street that is. It it is at from 495 to where? Where is the cutoff point? The cutoff point is Amherst Avenue. Okay, so um. Oh, Amherst is here. It's in Wheaton. Correct. Okay. All right. 
Um, okay, so, but I do want you to think about, um, and what I didn't see on the outreach is specific, I did see a small mention of the disability community, but I didn't see any mention of um, the, the elderly community. Um, because I think um, as you go down University Boulevard, you know, that's going to be critical because um, there are rehab facilities, there are senior um, housing uh, developments. Um, and so, I mean, you might as well get started now identifying the groups that would be most likely to, um, to um, be impacted. Um, also, you, well, okay, this is further down. So I was gonna, I was gonna mention the um, the project that we that we approved not too long ago at the Temple uh, that is between University and Reedy, right? So that that you know the the way that cuts is gonna have an impact on University Boulevard. Um, that's why I asked you where, you where your cutoff line is. Um, um, also on the slide, and this is probably my little pet peeve, uh, you, you, had, you had a slide on uh, bike lanes, and I noticed that the language used was uh, support of bike lanes. You know, you know, this is one of the reasons why people get upset with with the planning folks, is because you know there's a there's another side, and that is we don't like bike lanes. So so I didn't see a slide that that also indicated, you know, where how people are feeling, maybe not so happy glowy about bike lanes. I'm not suggesting that you know you should make anything up, but, but I'm saying that um, the public deserves the full picture as, as to what, you know, what people are feeling and not just, you know, one side of it. So th those are my little things. So a comment on, on the bike lanes. Yes, the, the, the bike lanes are a contention uh, within the community. There are people that are supportive of what the state did um, and then there are people that were not supportive of what the state did. So um, that means that was a temporary pilot project. So um, we do have um, the approval of the bikeway master plan, which provides us direction and guidance for University Boulevard. And as we develop the plan recommendations, we'll be examining that recommendation to see how it uh, has merit or what adjustments we could make um, to it. So I think um, the, the, the bike accommodation, the reallocation of of road of the roadway for other user other users rather than people just only driving um, is something that from that first public meeting we clearly heard from folks that were um, and then we've we've met with other people who are very supportive of um, having an alter, alternative uses on University Boulevard, such as a bike lane or a bus lane, et cetera. And some of the information that's been noted indicated that we have support for, um, for example, a dedicated busway. So I just wanted to provide a bit more. Commissioner Presley, this time. Yes, um, 
what I wonder is then the 45% who commented that they were interested in the protected bike lanes, I was thinking that that, that was like 45% out of the 100. But what you're saying is 45% of the people polled as to what they wanted proactively said that. So, so again, back to um, Commissioner Branson's comment, this is not really reflecting those who are opposed to that? Uh, yeah, in, in this case, uh, what they wanted to see, uh, if you see there's one more uh, option, which is stay the same. So uh, yes. that, that only had like seven people supporting it out of the people we surveyed. So uh, status quo, uh, nobody's happy with. And uh, I would just like to add a footnote to this bike, net con bike lane conversation. Uh, when we spoke to the, uh, the people who uh, use wheelchairs, there was, uh, there was a sort of two-way conversation about that. One was, I really like it because uh, I can sometimes get onto the bike lane and feel protected from the fast-moving traffic. Uh, we also spoke with uh, the convener of the Inwood House and she mentioned how, uh, because of the narrowness of the sidewalk and occasionally poor maintenance, how the bike lanes were really supported by the residents who were using wheelchairs. Uh, again, this is a sort of a Venn diagram of uh, the elderly and uh, people who uh, and people with disabilities. So there was support for bike lanes for from people who probably haven't been on a bike in 20 years. Uh, so even for like from pedestrians, there was support for bike lanes. So. Uh, it was not just biking advocates who were necessarily in support of uh, the bike lanes, but you're right. There were there is opposition to the bike lanes too, and uh, the concern but, was. But I presume that that could be more than the seven percent. Seven percent. So if you would just ask me outright, what would you like to see change, or what would you like to see, and I say just stay the same, that's not the same as as sort of giving me ten things and saying are you in favor or opposed. Um, so I, I do agree with Commissioner Branson. We need a little bit more, you know, in the next round, a little bit more representation for those who might be against it. Also, uh, that's an interesting concept about the wheelchairs and the bike lanes. Uh, is there enough room to support both? In other words, if somebody's using a bike lane with a wheelchair, they're not going to be traveling, presumably at the same speed as a bike. Is it is it contraindicated to to mix the two? So I think we are quite far from making uh, that specific recommendation. I think that's a, a, the purview of our transportation planners who will be dealing with the sort of nitty-gritty of these things. Uh, I think uh, the point here was that the, the support for bike lanes uh, is not just from bikers, uh, that it had an added advantage. Uh, there is precedent in other jurisdiction of uh, creating a shared infrastructure. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Like, uh, If it's a protected bike lane, then Presumably, you do not want a wheelchair in there, but uh, right. for the wheelchair users, I mean, their options were uh, between a rock and a hard place, between a poorly maintained sidewalk and a temporary bike lane. And uh, what we heard is a lot of people chose the temporary bike lane. Commissioner Branson. And I would, yeah. I, Amy, uh, Commissioner Preston, let me just give you a little um, background sure. because I, you know, I used to live in this in that area. So. So, so where this is, is on University Boulevard, which has a whole lot of traffic between oh, yeah. um, Inwood and where Sligo Creek Park comes up. Okay, so in that, in, uh, right at the corner of Inwood, there is a, an, an apartment complex. I can't remember how big it is. It's not very big, but, but there's an apartment complex that caters to the disability community. Okay, and okay. so once you leave that apartment complex, 
if you're headed toward the Sligo Creek Park, um, you you're you're you you've got woods on both sides. You have a heavily wooded area on both sides. So the state is responsible for maintaining the the sidewalk, as I understand mm -hmm. it. Um, along that sideway when you know back long time ago when you know I served on the council w we had a really horrible snowstorm um, and um, the the folks who were living in Inwood um, could not really leave their building because you know the requirement to shovel um, did not extend to the state, um, and so and so I'm just speculating that that it could well be that the concern about having this bike lane is because at least that will be maintained. That's that's sort of the backstory. So I just wanted to share that. And, and I'll, okay. I'll note for everybody that we still have the pedestrian master plan that's underway. That deals with some of these uh, state maintenance issues as well, and okay. that will be contemporary, con contemporaneously <laughs> decided with this one. So they'll meld together and they'll learn from each other. And the, uh, uh, Tanya Stern, acting planning director for the record, the pedestrian master plan will be completed much sooner than this plan as well. So its recommendations, uh, once it's adopted, will definitely help inform this plan. Commissioner Hill. Yeah, um, can you go back to slide number six? Um, my question has to do, I appreciate that we're kind of pivoting here to a corridor plan, but I'd like to understand the relationship of this plan with the overlay of other plans that are on top of it. And well, I see the diagram, but my question is, we're, we're bisecting Kensington Wheaton, we're bisecting Kemp Mill, and I don't know if there's a Four Corners area plan. I assume there is, you don't have it the, yeah, the, on here, but. It's right there. What, What's the relationship of these plans and the intention of the planning department uh, if we're overlaying this as sort of a, a strip that's separating these other communities? Will we have, uh, in a sense, duplicative effort when we come back to those community plans and update them? Thank you for the question, Carrie Sanders, for the record. Um, I think this is a, a good topic, um, particularly as it relates to the most recent Thrive Montgomery um, comprehensive plan adoption. Um, that plan had a policy that we had to look at corridors in the county. As you know, our corridors are planned for transit. Um, some of those corridors have uh, transit that is coming more soon, like Veers Mill, which you'll um, see sort of mandatory referral plans for in your future. Um, but other corridors like this one don't have immediate transit plans, but will in the future. And so what we really want to do is use this opportunity to get the corridor ready for that transit and make sure that the land use along the transit responds to it. Um, and also frequently what we're seeing from a Vision Zero perspective is that these corridors are extremely problematic for residents that are trying to simply walk to the bus. Um, they can't, this is actually one of the highest bus route, um, uh, most frequently used bus route in the entire state of Maryland along this corridor. And residents today have trouble just getting to those stops. And so we really feel from a planning perspective, it's land use, but it's also the connection between the land use and the transportation that has to be addressed throughout the county, but specifically in this area is quite urgent. Um, 
The okay, number of can yes. I can interrupt for a second? Yeah, You're not please. addressing the question I have, right? Uh, I'm not challenging the merits of the corridor plan. All right, I see the centrality of that transportation thing making sense to me. What I'm asking about is what's the transition of a patchwork of sector plans that really deal with chunks and communities related to corridor plans that we're laying over them, and the future intention for how do we structure our plans? So let me jump into this. I think that this is where. Um, as a planning department, we, we've, already be, we, we've actually already begun this transition to planning for smaller corridors. A lot of these other plans are for, for much, much larger geographies. And uh, we've already completed one corridor plan for Vera's Mill um, already. Um, you know, some of the master plans that we have underway, they are focusing on smaller geographies. But again, with uh, Thrive Montgomery um, 2050 adopted, we will need to do a shift in how we actually consider land use so that we are looking at sort of uh, uh, geographies that make sense, rela uh, uh, not just based off, off of the, um, the land use around that area, but what some of our policies and priorities are in terms of future planning. And corridors is a major priority um, that will have to be a focus because that is where we will have the opportunity to accommodate more growth we also have corridors that are already built out in a lot of ways, but they are also transitioning um, in, in certain ways. And so that is the opportunity for us to address those issues, to identify issues that exist now, which, you know, um, uh, Nicosi and the team have already laid out. So this is, there's no sort of one specific answer to your question, but this is a direction that we've already been moving in over the last few years. Um, and this give up, gives us the ability to come up with, with plans that are more tailored to specific uh, communities and conditions rather than these sort of very overarching uh, plans that are not as, um, you know, were probably appropriate at the time, but moving forward, this, is, this type of more targeted focus really is the direction that planning takes now um, so that we can have much more tailored, much more strategic uh, recommendations. Okay, I got that, but still is a scope of work question. I'm still, let me crystallize this. We're slicing off a chunk of the Kemp Mill neighborhood that's very small, right? And we're really isolating it in a sense by putting this plan in between. Is the intention in the future to combine that with some other place south of the corridor here so that it gets the same coverage as a, as a, as a um, adjacent and conglomerated area? Or what, what is the intention with those plans? I can uh, hopefully respond to your question and feel free to jump in if you need more clarity. Okay. Um, so to give you an example with the Veers Mill corridor plan, which had a similar approach to uh, as this plan, um, the adjacent community plans to the corridor are still very relevant. It's simply that we want to make sure that we're very intentional about the areas adjacent to the BRT. So in some cases, we had to go a little bit more into the community, like you'll see with Northwood, so that we capture the whole site. Um, and that is also the case with Kent Mill. We couldn't um, only include some of the development around Kent Mill and not include it all. It seemed uh, not logical. So it, it does, the, the boundary line that you see is roughly two blocks where we could. We tried to keep that consistency, which is, Similar to uh, Veers Mill. With Veers Mill, I think we probably hovered around one block, but in some cases went to two. Um, so we tried our best to be as consistent as possible around that like two blocks on either side of the roadway. Um, 
I think, though, that you bring up a good point with the consistency of the plans that are adjacent. And so we'll be looking at those plans as we do this plan to uh, echo the, the, the intent of those plans, consider the intent of those plans, and make sure that those plans um, work with this one as we move this one ahead. Okay, um, you're, you're still focusing on the, on the corridor, and I'm focusing on the existing plan and how we transition. So I live in that purple chunk that's not in the corridor, the, the university corridor. Looking forward to the future, where am I grouped for planning? Am I still grouped with the Kent Mill neighborhood and, the, and there's sort of duplicative planning in that the corridor part? In other words, is the purple chunk still expected to be treated as a whole for planning purposes? Um, for the record, my name is Jessica McVeary. I'm the master plan supervisor for the Mid-County team. Um, I think that you're bringing up a really good point. And when we draw these boundaries, we do try to be intentional about leaving remnants, as you're describing. And here we're trying to strike the balance of, of staying close to the corridor, as, um, um, as was mentioned previously, and trying to you know, not, not go too far off the corridor, but not leave those remnants. I think that um, you know the area below, the purple area that you're referencing, it could be included in a future planning effort. Um, the area that's sort of just close to it uh, could be included in a future update to the Four, cor four Corners sector plan or the Forest Glen sector plan. Um, and we try to sort of make sure that when we're doing this that we're mindful of those, of those remnants. And, um, uh, Ms. Sanders mentioned the Beers Mill Corridor Plan. The alignment of that was such that we sort of tried to create those connections to make sure we didn't have remnants. So I think that in this case, we could, we could think about either um, addressing that purple segment with one of the future planning updates for the area or extending the boundary here to include that remnant um, to make sure that we're addressing the concern. Okay, and, and this may be a bigger question that we can deal with in a moment, but my, my basic point here is when you draw a line, you make two spaces too. And I think we, as yeah. an equal protection question, have to think about what happens to those two spaces in planning, not just the new line that we draw. Right. If you, I can explain it that way. You, you always have to worry about the transition yeah, whenever you right. draw a line. And, okay. and uh, hopefully you'll be aware that right. you have that. Uh, and mm -hmm. I, I view the... the um, the, the scope and the geography of the scope is the area susceptible to all sorts of uh, plan recommendations, including zoning. And if you're outside of that area, you're not subject to that. So you don't want to include the area uh, if you really don't intend to change okay. it. So they stuck yeah, I, I to a part. Okay. I, I got that. It's just I'm, I'm concerned about what is the impact on the rest of the, the department activity and how we organize that. Um, and okay. and, I, and that, that may be a question we can't answer now. I'm fully aware of that, but I wanted to bring that up as, um, you know, we're, we're transitioning, we're pivoting, we're dealing with corridors by the mandate of council and all, but we still have a, a pretty complete layout of plans that fit together, and we're, we're I, I'd like to see a little forward thinking about what the chunks, what the, where those spaces go after we draw this line through the middle. Robert Cronenberg, for the record. Great question, and I think, you know, we deal with this, uh, with a lot of um, our, I'd say more of the urban plans. Uh, we just did this with Silver Spring. Uh, so you had a, a central business district boundary that expanded. And the, the other plans that surround it that are being impacted, similar to this right here, still govern. 
um, but there may be specific recommendations in that plan that may not apply anymore. Uh, and so you're with, uh, with the new plan that they're doing here, it would be not dissimilar to that, where you'd have recommendations that would override um, you know, um, one of those other master plans. And these master plans, uh, Kent Mill Four Corners, would get updated uh, as part of this exercise here. Uh, so they would be amended to incorporate um, the new boundaries uh, for this one right here. So it's a, a great question that we don't necessarily focus on too much in the scope, but I think it, it's worthy of kind of thinking about what those implications would be. And again, as we, as we embark on a lot of new um, corridor-type plans, it's definitely going to have the same impact. Uh, and that's something that we can definitely bring up, I think, uh, proactively uh, when we present scopes in the, in the future. Okay, good. Thank you. That's mm -hmm. enough. Okay. I don't see any hands. Uh, we're being asked by the uh, planning staff to approve this scope of work. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I move that we approve the scope of work as proposed uh, by the planning staff. Second. Uh, I, I have a motion and a second. Seeing no further discussion, all those in favor say aye. 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 And, and thank you for the presentation. Oh, thank you.
Good morning. It's uh, still morning. Uh, this is uh, February 16, 2023, Planning Board session. We're on item eight, Wheaton Downtown Study. Uh, this is where the staff is asking the board to just transmit the, the study to the council. Um, with that, I'll turn it over to staff. Thank you, Carrie Sanders, for the record, uh, Chief Mid County Planning Division. We're really happy to be at this milestone with you presenting the study um, that you received in your packets last week. Um, and just to echo what the chair had mentioned uh, for this presentation, we'll be happy to answer any of your questions and then the comments you provide, we will transmit to the county council as we transmit the study to them, um, hopefully uh, later this month. So thanks so much. And uh, I'll turn it over to our um, project manager, Luis Estrada. Um, well, good morning. Um, I'm glad to be here. Uh, and and as, as, uh, as, as Carrie Sanders mentioned, um, we are here um, um, as a follow-up to the meeting that we had um, on February the 2nd um, when we um, um, introduced the area and, and gave you a background on the Wheaton um, 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 District, Central Business District. And what we're here to do is, is to run you through um, um, the um, the outcome of the process that we've been following for the past year and 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 how um, we have developed uh, a, a few buckets of strategies that 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 are going to follow um, um, the completion of the study that we believe will actually will start moving the area in the in in the direction that the sectoral plan envisioned um, and, and I wanted to start the presentation with 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 this image which we shared in part um, uh, in the uh, um, the last presentation because it summarizes our process. Um, for master plans and, and how we uh, combine uh, community input uh, with the research that we do and, and the information that we get from our expert consultants to arrive at, at recommendations that, that, that we believe are going to be beneficial for, um, for the area. In this case, um, I'm, I'm listing and within the box that I'm showing in here the, um, the uh, elements that, that we focused on for this study. Um, 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 as a reminder, you know, there was a sector plan um, effort that preceded the study and, and, and a fair amount of outreach and, and analyses and, 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 and study had, had gone into that. And, and the, uh, the, uh, the study effort is a more targeted effort and, and we were uh, focusing particularly in understanding um, um, the, the local market to, uh, to, to see if the goals of the sector plan of, of relying on redevelopment to bring in public benefits to the area um, were uh, still feasible and achievable and in what form were they, uh, were they achievable and, and the combination of all this effort um, is, is what we use to develop the strategies um, that are included in the draft study. Next. Um, and and uh, at a very high level, um, what we did with the study is that we created, we developed um, four categories of, of, of strategies, and, and, and we've, we've listed them in order of priorities, um, um, uh, understanding that some of those strategies um, that are more geared toward revitalizing the area and, and introducing near-term improvements will be beneficial to enhancing the area so that it can become more attractive to development. And, and so, so what, what this category, we listed the categories and we broke them in, in, in year terms, and this is a very sort of um, um, subjective thing, but we were trying to stay within the timeline that is usually associated with the lifetime of a master plan, sector plan effort, it's usually like a 25 year um, 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 
timeline. We are at sort of the midpoint um, of the life of, of the Wheaton Sector Plan. So, so thinking that we would want to see things happen before that, that, that lifespan expires, um, and that we wanted certain things to happen right away, uh, and understood that certain things would actually could potentially happen in the middle. And, and the notion about actual redevelopment, I mean, we're saying 10 plus years because we're thinking that uh, if everything that we think would be beneficial to make the area attractive for development could actually happen within what's left of the life of the plan, it may take longer than 10 years to actually achieve any kind of development interest in the area. But but um, um, the primary goal of this effort is to sort of sort of uh, get the ball rolling so that the actions that we really need to happen following the study that would lead to those revitalizing um, um, efforts um, could actually happen. So the four categories that we came up with uh, as a higher level um, um, in the near term um, is about strengthening Wheaton's character and supporting um, revitalization, and, and we will go into more detail into the end of the presentation on that. Um, and in the middle term, we listed, uh, in that bucket, we listed um, um, enhancing and, and creating existing open space and, and improving connectivity, believing that um, a lot of the um, um, investigative efforts that we think need to happen as part of the near-term strategies that we have listed will lead to implementation of some connectivity improvements and enhance open space opportunities on the mid-term um, for, for the CBD. And the combination of all of those things um, in the long term could potentially yield um, development interest. Um, um, we also have included within the study district-specific strategies, and, and, and the diagram that you see on the screen just highlights certain areas that we focused on our efforts as part of the study, thinking that those are the places within each one of the districts that were identified by the sector plan uh, to, to, to where, where things could happen in the near term. Um, as part of the, the, the implementation of the strategies that we're talking about. So, so but, but the, uh, the, what we're doing with the presentation, um, um, just to be clear, is that we are going to describe the, the higher level categories and, and the, the strategies that are included underneath each one of them. Um, we have a, a lot more detail following that same structure for each one of the districts that are described in, in the sector plan, and all those all that detail is included in, in the draft report that is, that is included with, uh, with this item. Um, we're not going to go into the specific detail of everything that was recommended for each one of the districts, but we'll be at the end of the presentation open to answer questions um, about any of those elements if, if the planning board wants to see that. Um, and then um, one more thing uh, about this is um, part of the process that we have followed um, um, besides the community consultation and stakeholder consultation has involved the work that we have done with, with our consultants um, um, to understand the local market and, and, and to develop case studies working with property owners to see where the potential lies within Wheaton. Our, our consultants are here today um, um, to help us um, 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 share with the planning board their finding and their process. Um, 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 Partners for Economic Solutions is here um, that, that developed the um, um, market overview um, and that, that was shared uh, as long, along with this item. And, and um, um, Hor Copeland Met Architects, I mean, they worked together with the Partners for Economic Solutions for the, to develop you know, the, uh, the analysis that was done. So what we wanted to do before we get into the strategies is just to allow uh, PES the opportunity to sort of run you through their findings and 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 that's what we're going to do uh, 
next. Uh, and now we're going to pass it on to Abby Ferretti. Thank you so much, Louise. Abby Ferretti, for the record. So, uh, again, we started looking at the best way to understand Wheaton's downtown economy and its position by looking at the Wheaton sector plan area, which you see here on the screen. We looked at residential, office, retail, and then we took those as a high-level land use review, and then we looked at financial feasibility. So we're really understanding that within this Wheaton sector plan area, we expect uh, it to share about 4.1% of the county's total growth by 2045. And so if we look at the residential for sale market on the next slide, you'll see that it's a stable market. I think all of us are aware of that. You've got um, here highlighted in the images, you've got the townhouse communities that have been there for a long time and the newer ones and the condominium options. What's important to note here is that when we looked at sales over the course of you know a year period for that for sale community, we saw that 70% of the sales were single family residential, not surprising to many of us, but that the townhomes were about 23% and their median price was about half a million dollars, whereas the single family was 550. So very close in terms of the market. There's just a smaller share of condominiums that are out there in the marketplace, not surprising, and their median price is about 295. So so it's a stable market. It's doing well, but it's obviously more affordable than some of its counterparts in terms of urban dense locations in the county. On the next slide, you'll see we talked a little bit and we spent a lot of our time thinking about the rental market. Rental's really important, and here we've got about 2,357 units, and of those, they have about a 2.7% vacancy rate. In our line of work, we consider 5% to be what you'd want desirable in terms of a vacancy rate because it gives the landlords uh, time to turn over that property, to paint it, to recarpet it, and what might need it. So here we consider this a tight marketplace where you don't quite have enough supply to meet your demand. Uh, what's really important here is to note that a lot of the new development in the rental has come online since about 2008. You're talking about 1,647 new units from that number that I mentioned, the 2,357. We think that there is a lot of demand and potential here, but we take a minute, we step back, and we look at Wheaton in comparison to downtown Rockville, downtown Silver Spring, and we see the price point. It's about $100 per month in rent, cheaper to live here for a comparable unit. And then if you compare it to downtown Bethesda, which I know we're not trying to be, but that's about a $500 differential. So it's definitely more affordable. We think there could be demand for about 1,100 new units by 2035 here in Wheaton and potentially another 1,000 in that next tranche, which would be 2036 to 2045. Then we looked at the office market. I'm sure no one would be surprised to see that we kind of have to look at what's existing. These two images here on the slide give you a sense of what you're seeing. You're seeing some of that sort of office traditional development, mid-scale office place. Obviously, Wheaton's office market is about 753,000 square feet. It's nowhere near the size of like a, a market like um, downtown Silver Spring, which is 6.6 .6 million, or a, a Bethesda even at 9 million square feet. So it's a much smaller scale, but um, a large majority of that space, 300. Um, and 8,000 of it is the building we're sitting in today. So remember that 41% of your space comes in and is from this wonderful building. And it's a great investment, but it's important when we look at the market to kind of pull that out, tease that out. So as you can see, 58% of the space on this pie chart is Class A space. Why is that? That's because of this building right here. So don't be fooled too much by that. When you look at the class of space, that 29%, that, that Class B space, which has been here for a long time, is running a vacancy rate of 17.7%. That is very unhealthy. You'd want to see somewhere to 8 to 10% to be healthy 
in an office market, and so we want to consider that. On the next slide, there's a little more detail, and I know folks don't love graphics as much as I do, but it is an important graphic here to look at because it's showing you absorption and it's showing you net deliveries, which is new coming uh, space coming online. So it's giving you a sense of what's happening in occupancy. Where are these office tenants coming and going? No surprise, just like most of the region, we're seeing problems in the office market. But what is important to point out here in Wheaton is that you have a 9.4% vacancy rate in 2022. What really happened in 2021 is that you had a loss of office tenants, about 140,000 square feet of occupancy was lost over the last 10 years in the Wheaton marketplace. So it's not just a trend that's recent from COVID, it's a long-term trend, and it's within the shadow of roughly 13.1 million square feet of office overhang, vacant space in Montgomery County as a whole. So its prospects do not lend well for future office space. However, the retail space is a different story. Here, when we look at retail space, and for many of you who are familiar with this area, you understand that the retail space is made up of all these lovely, and I know they may, may not seem that way to you, but to me, they're lovely little shops that afford small retailers an opportunity to come into a market and to really bring unique items. CoStar shows there's about 2.4 million square feet in total in this area for the Wheaton sector plan area, but it has a vacancy rate of 2.5%. Again, showing that it's very tight marketplace. I always like to pull out the big um, white elephant in the room, which here is the Westfield Wheaton complex, which was built in the 1960s. That's about 1.5 million square feet of space. However, they're doing well. They have a vacancy rate of about 1.7%. When we look at that mall and we think about what it brings to the area, it, it, it is doing well. It is healthy by relative standards. Um, the sector plan area, and I talked about this in the beginning, is anticipating that growth. And I think it's important to remember that um, it's going to increase by half to two-thirds by 2045. That growth in those customers, the addition of those new households, is going to continue to grow that retail demand. And that means that the existing restaurants and retailers who are in place could capture that share. When we look at this next slide, again, back to this graphic here, I want everyone to, to note that the vacancy rate um, that 2.5% is much below the healthy vacancy rate of 5%. It's tight, but it also shows that that Westfield Wheaton is 60% of that space, and they're doing extremely well. So what we did is we dug a little deeper, and we profiled the 300 businesses that are in retail spaces that are outside of Westfield but are in this sector plan area. We looked at where their vacancies were at one point in time. This is just kind of a nice way to check in on how the health of those smaller businesses are in those retail atmosphere. And we found that about 14% of them were vacant. Um, but they have had 41 new businesses, so there's a lot of churning, turning over, new businesses be created. A lot of that is because you have a healthy food supply, food and beverage options, and those folks, one in five fail. It's okay that you have them going and then someone new coming in. That doesn't necessarily represent unhealthy. The other thing that's important is that 40% of these businesses are targeting minority communities and those in other languages. So we would say that overall, the market strengths in this area um, really are the accessibility and the retail opportunities really are leading on uh, that accessibility and that access here. So the residential development will increase the walk-in customers that I talked about, but also you can see the activation of the space and the preservation of some of these smaller retail spaces will continue to benefit the retail sector. Um, and there's an opportunity here, we believe, to build on the arts and these other things, and that's what we found in our case studies. So 
Overall, the market strengths that we see in this marketplace is its success to date really reflects the access. Look, we have the red line, we have Wheaton Station, we have the Metro bus, we have Ride On, we have the convergence of three major highways um, and a clustering of ethnically diverse restaurants and retailers. You don't have this in many other places in the county. Don't mess it up. Let's remember that it is sort of a success in its own right today. Um, Chuck Levins as an anchor is huge for you guys. The urban district efforts and the, and the potential to continue to build off of that is really important. There are weaknesses, and I would not um, say that, that that goes without being said. Here you can see on these images below on the bottom half, the, these retailers are forced into really parking inconvenient, not just for their customers, but for loading and for accessing and operating their businesses. It's tough, but they're willing to stay here because of the customer base that you have and the access that you have. Some of these aging retail spaces uh, present an opportunity for us and to kind of grow and change and sort of shift what we're doing. And so... Uh, what we did was we took a look at the underutilized retail properties, and I'm so happy that you guys have had a chance to read our report. But this is where we really say, let's take a look at the land value to total value and scan the market. And here we saw if you had 50% of your value in the land as compared to the total value, then we said, let's take a deeper dive. And that's this is just sort of... Um, Part of the work in process, and these are the dots that represent that. On the next slide, you'll see the four sites that we selected with the help of Hort Copeland Mott um, to kind of come in and say, let's see if we could do some assemblage. Let's see if we have some common ownership. And where could we build um, multifamily? Where could we redevelop it? How would we redevelop it? How would we access it? How would these things work? And how would the parking be calculated? Very fortunate that Herb Copeland Mott was able to do that because they've done this work for the private and the public sector. They understand it. They were able to get the biggest bang for your buck out of each site, which was terrific. And then on the next slide, you can see um, these are the findings, right? The development costs are high. There's no surprise here. Construction costs continue to go up, as does the cost for the labor that supports that construction. The rents that we would need to do to do these projects would be um, need to increase 20 to 28%. It would be a huge jump. Um, it's not remedied by your current zoning and your high-rise uh, options that are allowed out there in the zoning envelope. The mid-rise buildings do have lower costs, and the new condominiums were not feasible enough to bring in development. It's why you're not seeing a ton of development applications or assemblages happening today. But you can see in the image here on the bottom left, we took a look at, okay, if we could build even more, if we could consolidate, if we could shift where roads are. We didn't allow anything to stop the vision to try to um, squeeze as much money out as possible. It just wasn't financially viable at this time. And so we ran sensitivities, and then on the next slide, we sort of said these are the conclusions um, in terms of what are the real burdens, and structured parking is a major cost factor. Um, even when you right-size the parking in line with the market demand, the parking ratios for, for retail, what they need, what restaurateurs need, even if you're just picking up the food and moving on, is a high level of parking. And so that's particularly difficult, and we did kind of run into some challenges in terms of folks accepting the below-grade parking that has been recently built here. And that's kind of um, particularly further tanked the financials at this time. Um, and then we took the, the project a further step, which was to do case studies of um, an inventory of, like, what's the appeal here in Wheaton, and how can we sort of build off of that small independent businesses? And we took a look at um, many of the technical assistance programs that are out there, but in other places. So we went as far 
at San Francisco, and we went to Chicago um, and Hyattsville and Mount Rainier and looked at kind of what we found. And we found you have to build the public trust and you can only move at the pace of the public trust. And I think that's really important for even these businesses that are in there. They may not own their space, but you have to provide that technical assistance. One of the case studies was Chicago's Logan Square. I'd love to point that out because they lost a ton of their Hispanic community and they lost a ton of their business base and their ethnic diversity as their community grew and the rents grew. And that was a lesson learned and lost um, small businesses that we wouldn't like to see here in Wheaton. And so it's a lesson learned. I think um, emphasizing the programming, focusing on a community development corporation, understanding how powerful the arts can be and how successful Hyattsville, Mount Rainier, and other locations have been around Maryland at building on that. Those were kind of the keys, um, and those sort of tag-teamed into what we gave back to the planning staff, who did a wonderful job coming up with strategies. Great. So do we have any questions so far, or do we keep going? This is a fall detail to what you just said, and I want to poke it for a minute. You said that the office... Uh, the office situation, uh, the um, occupancy was a long-term trend, not just a COVID impact. And I, maybe this is, uh, I, I really worry about um, mixed use and having that employment component in the area, and we seem, that seems to be a general problem. Um, what, what long-term causes can you identify? Is it a denser packing of the people, the employees that are there? Is it, you know, shedding workers? Is it you know, businesses leaving, I, can you put a finger on any of that? So it's a little bit of um, a couple of the things that you mentioned. It's the shedding of the workers and the shifting, obviously, to a shared hybrid work environment. But what we saw is that was going on for 10 years prior to COVID, and it just accelerated and exacerbated that problem. The other piece that we see here is that much of the office demand for the future will be population growth driven. So it's, I need to be near my customer base. My customer base is my resident. It's not, I'm in this office location for that. And then it's the competition. In Montgomery County, you guys are competing with locations that have much more desirability and are offering rents, you know, they're competing with you. So you're competing with Silver Spring here in Wheaton. You're competing um, with downtown Rockville. And those folks have a little bit more quality pedestrian environment. They have more community um, festivals, more arts, and they've invested in that more over time. So you're playing catch up as well there. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Go ahead. So um, my question is twofold. One is about the pedestrian difficulties you've noticed because Wheaton, you know, Wheaton is really one of the few places where people are out here walking around, you know, there's a, but um, it's also where people are afraid to walk around. Um, the other thing um, I wanted to really ask you if there's more detail about is um, the suggestion about arts and entertainment. You know, this is not, um, other, other than the, the movie theater at the mall, uh, and I think there's a few little nightclubs, at least used to be up here. This is not known for, this area is not known for arts and entertainment. So, you know, you're really kind of talking about, you know, I understand how that can be a driver for, for a lot of things, so, but you're really starting to talk about doing something that's really new. To, to this area. So, you know, I was just wondering if you had, you know, additional thoughts on that. Thanks, Commissioner Branson. Uh, so I think part of the thing with arts, and I talk about arts a lot in a lot of communities, 
um, you have to find your niche within the arts. And what we've heard here is that there's a little bit of live music, dance, and that component. And I, so I would say, I broadly said arts in the presentation, but I think it's the niche arts here. You have to find your own identity. Um, you obviously have Chuck Levin, and so you sort of have a performance-based option here. So I'm not talking about the visual arts, and I'm not really, I mean, you can have those components, but what I'm saying is focus on the music and the music side of arts. I'm not suggesting you become Nashville, by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think opening up options for people to perform in public, and I'm a big believer in like, yeah, it's great that your church choir practices in the basement here, but why don't you come out to our plaza um, when the seasonality permits and have them just come out and do their practice there and enliven space. It doesn't cost anything, and it's sort of, and so it's those sort of ideas. My understanding from the folks that have lived and have own property in this area is that those ideas have been discussed before, but they maybe haven't been targeted towards the music as much, and the funneling and the sort of um, on the ground every weekend, I have to have something going on here and every Wednesday night. Um, hasn't been as dogmatic as maybe it could be. And so I think that's our, our suggestion. But I, I hear you. It can't just be a broad base. Hey, everybody does well with arts, right? Agreed. I can't help myself. Um, there's, a, there's a CIP project for an arts center that's located at the edge of the study area. Do you think there'll be synergies uh, sufficient to help the other retailers in and other activity within Wheaton. Chairman, thank you so much for mentioning that. Yes, we interviewed and talked to them about the program and about that building space. It was sort of in its infancy when we started the program. And I'm looking back at my partner, Anita Morrison, because she had more of those discussions. I, we made that recommendation to them, and I would suggest that, yes, we think that that is kind of a key step moving forward. That What, that what recommendation did you make to them? Yeah, she's too far away from the mic. <laughs> For the record, it's Anita Morrison. Um, what we had suggested was that uh, those opportunities be developed and as central to um, downtown Wheaton as possible. So as I understand now, you're looking at a site closer to Amherst, uh, which is a, a little off-center, you know, so not quite as advantageous, but just with the design, as the project is being designed specifically, it should incorporate concepts of linking to the outdoors and um, encouraging that spin out um, that uh, will help the people who are coming to uh, take advantage of the center also see the opportunity to walk to a restaurant. Um, and so it's, it's, it's more about design and, and that when you say center you, you kind of mean the mean of the pot where the people are the population center right yes. not the geographic center right? well, I was it seems we have a real imbalance with metro. this whole mall over here right yeah i was thinking in terms of access to the, the small business space okay. yeah so it's okay where they're uh, where the location is going? I think, you know, it will take some extra effort to make sure that those physical connections are emphasized and visible and um, attractive. One of the things I would suggest for what we send up is that at least be up to date on what the CIP recommendation is. And, and okay. right now it just says uh, 
they'll look at it in the future. So uh, mm -hmm. that would be one recommendation I have. Mm -hmm. The other thing I noticed is that the only specific development incentive uh, listed here is uh, reduced parking. Uh, and, and that, of course, is always a, a balance with, with what a mortgage company will <laughs> allow <laughs> when they finance something. Uh, uh, but still, that's the only thing that you think is uh, directly a direct strategy? Chairman, Other than the words, incentivize development. Chairman, that's a great question. Unfortunately, the gap was so large that uh, we looked at several different structures to, or several different options to reduce the gap. And it's, I don't think it's entirely reflective of the sensitivity analysis that we did, but those did not provide fruitful, um, they didn't fill the. There are certainly options to um, abate taxes or to make direct contributions with investments in the infrastructure or other public uh, facilities. Public parking, of course, helps um, close the gap on those residential mixed-use developments. But it's, um, it's a, it is a very big gap at this stage. And so the concept of you know, $100,000, $150,000 a unit to um, subsidize market rate housing is, is a little tough in these budget times. And, and, and you, of course, budget times, uh, you yeah. know, um, uh, Forgiving taxes for a, a period of time is equally <laughs> helps and hurts. Right. Yes, uh, but I didn't see that as a specific recommendation either. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Commissioner Presley has something. Yeah, I, I just wanted to know, like, how do we compare not just to other counties in Maryland, but are there people studying this trend and like, and are there any other resources we can look to um, in terms of? how they're dealing with this incentives and otherwise are we kind of right in the pocket with everyone else across the country or are we you know for some reason are people vacating montgomery county that's important for me to understand I'm, I'm, you're talking about the gap and between cost and um supportable value that's happening yes. uh that's happening across the country the the run-up in costs in construction costs particularly through the pandemic with the supply chain sure. issues and the rest have made it, have really exacerbated the problem for everyone. And so um, I think you are seeing people looking for new solutions and some of some communities are committing some of their ARP monies, their America Rescue Plan monies specifically to those, um, to trying to fill those gaps. But um, do we need to possibly be pushing for um, you know, tax breaks, tax credits, or even, uh, you know, shudder the thought, I'm sure, to many, but some reductions <laughs> in the exactions that we're putting on developers at a time where we know, you know, like sheetrock's more than doubled and, you know, supply chain is a problem, there's timing issues. Is there anything that we should be seeking to do as a temporary measure to reduce those demands? Um, what you could do in the temporary, in the short term, uh, <clears throat> post Post-pandemic, it's pro it's probably not um, changing those kinds of um, requirements about sheetrock or whatever. Yeah, the, um, no. I do think you need to to look at the parking because five spaces per retail or per a thousand feet of retail space is a fairly high. That's a shopping mall 
kind of ratio. And so if you can bring that down, that would help make the retail more feasible and the, the total mixed use project as well. It, it just seems like a little bit like just a little nick, you know, not maybe not enough. And, and have you considered other things to add to that? Um, you know, have we petitioned for tax cuts or some other thing to, to benefit people who move in within a certain time period and things like that? Yeah, so there have been um, I think tax incentives for high rise on metro properties. Um, I think it's uh, there are I know the district has t done some strategies that with time limitations that for the next three years, if you um, come in and are approved in, in this three year period, there will be these incentives available to you. Um, that's that would be one option would be to um, look at something very targeted. I think it's it's easier in these times maybe to do that with the projects that are affordable, uh, that are including affordable housing. So in particular, you know, when HOC comes comes to the table, that's an easier place to to put public monies in to help make those sure. projects viable. But, but yeah. you know, but it Again, we need we need the balance. I mean, you have a lot of people and no place to shop, and that's you know, yeah. <laughs> it's it's trade off. But but at some point, that's going to become as as important as the you know paucity of of affordable units is, because now there's a bunch of people getting on the street to go somewhere because there's nowhere close to go. So, okay, well, pontificating, I'll stop. <laughs> I'll say one other thing. You have another nationwide problem, if you will, that, that's in here aside from the office space, and that's regional malls. And, yeah. and, you, and you have one here, uh, and you didn't talk a lot about it, ex except for some things along the edges of it. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's certainly still continuing to perform well. It, it serves a niche in this um, part of the county, and it doesn't have the I mean, some of the malls that you're seeing um, decay are because they've had new competition close by, and that's not really the case here. But um, I think long term, the strategies we're seeing are diversifying the, the product mix. And so adding housing um, and taking better use, making better use of the land associated with the, the malls is really the trend that we're seeing. And, I understand that the owner is um, open to the concept of housing, particularly along Veers Mill Road, but it, the market's just not here yet. And so that's, that's my understanding as to why that's not happening. Thank you. Uh, do you have more to present? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Panero. Yes, hi. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, I mean, the chair brought up the the uh, shopping center, the the mall issue, but I also would like to bring up the um, kind of the elephant in the room, which is has to do with racial equity and social justice. Uh, you know, something we generally uh, the schools have less than ten percent of white students in it. Uh, most of them are black and brown. To what extent do you think that that's going to attract? I mean, when we look at land cost and issues like that, 
There's a lot of redevelopment going on in Bethesda. We see it all the time. We don't see it in Wheaton. The Thank fact that we have this racial composition in schools may be a deterrent for families to move to Wheaton when they have to send their, school, their children to schools. I know that we're not dealing with schools, that's a Board of Education issue, but you know, planning does affect that. Um, and uh, that's why I've been, I've been thinking, you know, when I was at HOC, people think, well, maybe we need more low-income housing in, in Wheaton. We don't. We don't. We need more development. We need more mixed income, people moving in with higher incomes, be, you know, willing to, to move into this area so that we have more diversity. I've always felt that way. And we always felt that way in HOC. I'm not talking on behalf of HOC here, but what I'm seeing is that this issue of, you know, um, neighborhoods changing, we have to think not only of how neighborhoods preserving what we have, we, all, we also have to think about giving more opportunities to people that live there in terms of, you know, redevelopment. But anyway, I'll, I'll leave it there. I'll just, uh, I mean, it's the elephant in the room that many times we don't talk about it. And as you see, nobody's talking about it, so. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, I think this is a good segue to um, um, just talking about the strategies, because I think it is important to note that, that um, because of this conversation that we're having and because the difficulty in, in identifying adequate incentives and, 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 and figuring out effective ways to, uh, to attract development to the area now, um, is, is why we have focused in, 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 um, in a group of incentives for the near term that, that is, 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 is trying to improve the area and make it more attractive and respond to some of the, 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 um, um, the, the things that the community has, has vocally told us uh, are needed in the area first thinking that uh, running through all those issues and, and making sure that those needs are met will make the area more attractive so that, so that potentially a market can develop um, for redevelopment in the future. And that's reflected also in, uh, in the case studies that were included in the PES report. Um, I mean, they're, they're, geared to, they're geared more towards um, community improvement and redevelopment. And then some of the strategies that we're gonna, that we're gonna share with you are, are about identifying needs and, and figuring out ways to attract funding to meet those needs. And then there are more immediate needs. And what, are, what we tried to do with, uh, for example, this slide that we, uh, we did in here, and I don't know that it do it so well, but that's what we tried to do. Like we had three columns in which we had in the, in the, in the left-hand column, we had what we've heard is a summary of the things that we have heard um, um, from the community. And it's a combination of things that, that involve um, 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 improving connectivity, which is a big uh, uh, issue for people. I mean, they, they, we heard loud and clear that they want to improve the way that you move through the through the district, and they want it to be safer, uh, and they want to be able to reach destinations from uh, reach the district from from the neighborhood surrounding it, and and to reach destinations beyond the district. Like they talk about the public library, they talk about Wheaton Regional, they talk about those 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 places that are very popular that, that not everybody knows uh, uh, very well how to get there by foot. 
So they're talking about making pathways or improving pathways that people use today. Um, um, uh, I'm making them clear the um, ways to use. So, so then the column in the middle is, is sort of a summary of, of, of some of the findings that we, that we got from PES's report. I mean, and, and they're much in line with, uh, with some of the things that, that um, um, folks are looking to do, uh, focusing on community development, um, 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 promoting the arts. And I think it's important to know that Wheaton is a designated arts and entertainment um, um, district. Um, and, and they do have a strategic plan um, 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 for pushing that. So, so they're actively working in, in, in building uh, Wheaton as an arts and entertainment destination. Um, so, so there are pieces in place in here that can be used to build on, to, to revitalize the area in the way that we're talking about. And then, and then there's, there's our three buckets of strategies. And, and, and I just wanted to highlight that, that our near-term strategies uh, include um, um, following actions to identify uh, improvements um, to the area and to promote it, um, make it more attractive, safe, and, and in support of local businesses and, and residents. And, and, and our midterm strategies are more about implementing the findings of, of, of those uh, actions in the near term. And, and, and then we'll go, to, we'll go through what those are. Um, uh, next. So um, and 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 this is this is about revitalizing Wheaton. This is part of our near term strategies and and um, what we have in here uh, as a primary goal. Um, next is is continuing to support the district's effort to activate the public right away and to improve connections and walkability throughout the sector and 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 to identify better ways of doing that. Uh, we're we're recommending a couple of things. Next and next. Um, we include a strategy to conduct um, a public life study. And, and, and what a public life study um, um, does, in essence, is that it, it, it analyzes how people use um, the public realm as it exists today. And, and, and they actually monitor how people work, how people move, where do they congregate, and, and what are the areas of, of the CBD that are more popular for users, and how do they use them. And, and, and part of the effort is to understand that usage and figure, figure out how to, how to support it and, and, and how to incentivize it, if, if it's positive use. Um, um, and, and, and I believe that, 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 for example, there's a lot of efforts that, that we do here at the, in the planning department that, 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 that produce data and information that could actually support a study like this. Um, and, and what this would require is, is a concerted effort to sort of analyze that data and try to understand um, um, how do people use the public domain in Wheaton and ways in which we can attract funding to improve it. Because this, what, what part of these exercises are all about is, is to identify needs so that then we can identify something for funding sources so that we can improve um, uh, and provide for those needs. Uh, that's, that's the reason why we're also pursuing next and next recommending pursuing a cultural mapping exercise. Um, um, a cultural mapping exercise is sort of, is sort of a different way of, of dealing with uh, preservation within a neighborhood, and it's more focused on the businesses. Uh, and what it does is that it, it, it studies the area and, and, and identifies the businesses that have contributed for a long time to establish a special character in the area and, and, and tries to identify ways to support those businesses. And what we have been um, um, 
thinking, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an exercise that needs to be designed um, um, to meet uh, the needs of the area. We have also been working with um, um, uh, one Montgomery Green who's pursuing a separate um, exercise to, to promote a, a, a sustainable innovation zone in Wheaton. And we had actually hoped that our exercises were gonna be more parallel in terms of timeline, so we could include the recommendations in here. Um, and they're further um, behind us but um, they are working with the Green Bank who is looking to, to um, um, promote um, um, their resources for the benefits of, of small businesses like, like the people that we have here, that use the businesses that we have here in Wheaton. Um, but they've, they've expressed an interest in figuring out a process to identify where the needs are so that they can tailor um, um, their offerings to the area. And, and, and we've discussed in very general terms about how we can use an exercise like this uh, as a way of identifying uh, needs, particularly in, in, in equity challenge areas like Wheaton. Um, um, so we could probably come design the exercise to combine uh, um, um, uh, research in, in those areas. Um, but ultimately the goal is next and next is, is, is improving how you move through the area and how you use it. And, and, and it is a big challenge um, I'm moving through Wheaton. We have heard it light on loud and clear um, all the time that we've been working on this. And, and we have I've spoken with uh, folks from, from communities surrounding um, what we call the core, which is basically the triangle um, um, in, in Wheaton and the cluster of smaller businesses that are concentrated around the intersection of um, Georgia Avenue and University Boulevard. I mean, that's sort of the heart um, of, of Wheaton. And, and we've heard how difficult it is to get to those places, depending on where you are coming from. Um, um, so improving that in, in, in a safe manner um, is an important consideration. And, and for that, we have next and next. Um, um, we are recommending that, um, that uh, placemaking initiatives are, are, are conducted in Wheaton. We have a list of, of priority initiatives that could be pursued within the central business district. And what we've recommended is that those initiatives are used to identify ways to improve areas that need improvement. Uh, and and uh, to improve, parks, for example, pathways that may be informally used um, 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 by residents to get here, um, um, can we make them formal? Can we actually improve those? Or, or we have um, frontages and in, in segments of frontages along some of the major avenues that surround, that cross the CBD that are, that are very difficult for pedestrians and, and because of, of, of um, 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 the lack of potential for near term any kind of redevelopment. It's very difficult to envision how improvements for the pedestrian zones could be implemented. So, so we've recommended that those areas be looked at uh, uh, through a placemaking lens to see if there's interim improvements that can be introduced um, um, in and, and, and suggestions for more permanent improvements to do in the future. Uh, and, and then um, the commercial frontages. I mean, we've been, we have been talking to other uh, Department of Housing and Community Affairs, who actually has an ongoing um, facade improvement program now, um, um, and, and that's why we have included that and as part of the near term um, um, bucket of solutions. Because you know they're actively trying to attract interest from from business owners or, or property owners in areas like Wheaton. Wheaton is one of their priority areas. Um, um, they have a limited amount of funding, but they really want to help out um, improve the area by using the program, so that's included in here. Um, and we can go to the next. 
Uh, and then, and then, what we're thinking is that uh, if we successfully manage to identify needs and identify potential improvements and 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 get together of the folks that can help us implement all those, that the implementation of those could start to happen, uh, sort of in the midterm. And 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 that's what we're talking about. Uh, and and in this phase, we're talking about improving existing open space. Um, um, we have a picture in here of, of veterans urban park. Uh, which is now under the purview of, of the urban district. I mean, we have been um, um, talking to our colleagues in, in, in the parks department who, have, who are really good at, at designing um, public spaces and parks, and they've been giving us some ideas that we're going to share um, at some point with the planning board um, um, about how to improve this. And, and we also want to, next and next, uh, continue the process um, of potentially using the, the placemaking exercises to identify if there's interim locations where, where public open spaces can be created uh, while we wait for redevelopment to come. And, and, and we think that there's potential for those. Um, 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 we have been, uh, the urban district has been very interested in promoting placemaking exercises to help develop um, um, and, and identify. Um, um, areas where people can congregate so that they can then figure out how to improve them. Um, so, so we think that that could be uh, a result of this. And, and next, and next. We will continue to um, encourage properties as they redevelop to consolidate their public open space requirement in, in, in areas where, where you end up with meaningful spaces that, that are programmable and really usable. And, and, and particularly, we're, we're, we're interested in uh, we, we county-owned properties that, that may be up for redevelopment. We understand that there's an interest in developing uh, um, um, our, our, our PLD lots, parking lot district lots. Um, um, in, in the near term. We don't know what the status of that is, but, but if those were to yield any kind of uh, real development, then those would be opportunities where you could actually consolidate some open space because most of those locations are central to the districts that were identified by the sector plan. Next. Next. Um, Part of, and then the other, the other part of the, our midterm activity, uh, 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 strategies are mostly related to connectivity, which is, which is what we heard um, um, the most um, 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 as part of our conversations. And, and next, um, we, um, um, we think that it's important to identify a consistent and adequate revenue source for the Wheaton Urban District. I mean, it's like we've heard um, um, loud and clear that most, a lot of the times they don't have enough um, um, to do what they need to do, and 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 taking care of a CBD like Wheaton is a complicated operation. So so, and ensuring a consistent revenue source for them is is essential. Uh, in lieu of that, next, we also have a strategy to recommend uh, um, exploring alternative funding sources um, um, for uh, for doing those improvements. And and we have listed a few um, uh, things in the report um, um, that we think could be looked at. Um, um, but, but again, the combination of those is, is supportive of the goal, next and next, of, of improving access through the area. And, and, and that, um, um, uh, if we can, if, we, if, if funding, adequate funding can be uh, secured to, to improve pedestrian zones, there's a lot of bikeway work that is already happening. Um, the Department of Transportation is already in the process of implementing um, um, a bikeway facility on Amherst Avenue, and they're exploring 
their, their starter design on, on, on a bikeway facility along Granview Avenue, and they have a couple of other areas within the CBD where segments of the bikeway network that was proposed by the 2019 bicycle sector bicycle master plan are being implemented. So the combination of all those um, is going to start moving Wheaton into the into the better pedestrian realm that that most residents are looking for. But but the bigger challenge in the area next and next. Is, is the highways, is the three highways that, that, that cross the CBD and, 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 and the barrier they represent in separating the districts that, that were identified by the sector plan. So transforming those, those, those um, into pedestrian friendly and comfortable places where pedestrians feel comfortable to move around is essential. And, and one of the things that we think is important that, that needs to be looked at next and next is, is that um, um, in, in any upcoming um, um, review of, of the extent of the right-of-way that is recommended for those highways that that, that should be um, limited potentially to what's existing so that we can limit crossing distances and improve safety within the limits of the central business district. Um, and we did a preliminary analysis of, 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 of the, uh, the right-of-way that exists today uh, versus what's, what's recommended in, in, in the current master, master plans and if we can Condense that somewhat. It would it would make a huge improvement to, uh, as I was mentioning, crossing distance and improving safety through the area. And and next and next, this has to do with uh, with the branding efforts that we're talking about and and identifying um, and making it clear for residents and users how do you move to the area and where can you get through if you get on on this path or that path. And 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 branding. There is an effort to implement a bikeway branding. They're developing that process now in the, uh, here in the department, and, and we're thinking on a similar process that, that could be expanded to improve wayfinding, wayfinding throughout the CBD. Uh, as all those pathways that people use today that are informal are formalized, then, then there could be an opportunity for, for uh, achieving some clarity on, on how did you connect to public facilities that are either within or beyond um, the central business district by an exercise like this. Um, next. Next. And, and the combination of all those improvements that are more uh, about revitalizing the area and making it easier to navigate, we think that ultimately could lead to an interest in redevelopment. And, 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 and that's, that's, that's why we only left it as incentivized redevelopment um, because of all the conversations we have with our colleagues. I mean, there's, there's uh, well, this will work, that won't work. So, so I said, well, let's, let's just think of that. If the area becomes attractive enough, then the interest will will appear. And next, next. And then um, last but not least, um, 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 that that is sort of the high level um, um, description of, of what each one of those four strategy categories are all about. Now we use that same structure to describe uh, potential um, um, opportunities within each one of, of the districts. Um, that are described in the sector plan. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the presentation, we're not going into the detail of all, all those in here, but those are the diagrams that we included in, in the draft um, um, study for each one of the areas. And, and we're happy to answer any questions you may have about any of those detailed recommendations um, um, here today. But um, um, I just wanted to sort of sum it up in the end uh, just by saying that uh, um, most of the strategies that, that we have included in the study will involve um, a future action. I mean, it'll, it'll involve um, collaboration 
um, uh, coordination, advocacy, leadership, and investment by a number of groups and, and, and county agencies. And, and we included this in the report. This is, this is how we close, how we actually close the, the, the draft report. We, I thought it was imp important to flag that out, of that, that, that this will require follow-up. I mean, we have initiated as part of the process that we follow for this study a number of conversations. You know, we spend a lot of time talking to property owners, community groups, uh, county agencies, state agencies, and, and, and so there is an awareness that, that a follow-up is needed. Um, um, as part of the study, we have included recommendations to, to study certain alternatives that we think will be believe, uh, would improve the area uh, for pedestrians and will facilitate development of, of significant properties, but it will require additional study. And, and I think that, that that's an important point that we want to make at, at, at the end of this. And um, I think that that's sort of what we have. Um, uh, and I wonder, if, are there any more questions um, following all this? I actually do. Um, it, it seems to me the, the conclusion of, of everything is try. Um, uh, be inventive, uh, work for things that, that may have worked in other areas and maybe not, but don't be afraid to fail if you try. Uh, and that goes for uh, arts and entertainment, uh, that goes for parking uh, initiatives that goes for new relationships with the state and the the most the toughest relationship is with the parking district because whatever you have they say we have to uh, keep our bondholders solid which means no reduction in spaces and, and until you overcome that you have a problem. Until you overcome the right-of-way needs on state highways, <clears throat> um, you know, good luck with that, um, you will not solve pedestrian uh, impediments unless we all become faster walkers. <laughs> uh, I recommended being a faster walker before. It didn't work. Um, but, but I think that's the overall tone that I hear in, in what you're saying is be inventive, uh, try lots of things. Uh, it's a success. It needs to be a success in the, uh, the future. We have impediments right now that we would like to overcome, and we're open to ways to do that. I mean, that's what I hear. Um, Commissioner Hill. I think those are excellent comments. Um, I was really struck as I read through this that this is a plan with finesse in it. And I, was, I admire that. It also has some restraint. I liked your idea of don't break what we already have here, right? Um, and I think it's good work. And uh, I, one of the things that happened to me as I read through it is, as my mind started percolating as I read the introduction, you hit almost every, you hit all those points and added some to it. Um, so I, I support this. This is amazing. No other comments? <laughs> All dittos to the support. Nominal yeah. job. Are you saying it's amazing if I don't talk? Do no, okay. never. I would never say such a thing. But I would be amazed. Go. Are you? Do you no? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I like the plan, and, and, you know, I just think that it's... Um, it's, um, Wheaton has a lot of really 
new and good stuff. And and unfortunately, you know, it seems to have been done sort of in a, you know, put this here, see if it works, put that there, see if it works, kind of it. And it really is time to figure out, you know, what the what the core identity of Wheaton is. And and it seems to me that that's really what you're asking. That that uh, you know that uh Wheaton as a place be uh is, that it, that it's more than just a crossroads between Silver Spring and Rockville. You know, Wheaton is a place. So let's make it a place. Um and other than the mall, you know, most people don't think about Wheaton as a place, you know. So I mean, it seems to me that's what that's what you're that's what you're suggesting. That's what you're asking folks to do. And yeah, I totally totally you know support that. I don't have I don't have anything to add. I don't have anything to add. Okay. <laughs> I, again, the only thing I would recommend is updating the sections uh, on arts and entertainment a little bit, since. Reality has overtaken you a little bit, or or proposals have overtaken you. At least, at least the, you knew it was a proposal in here, and you, and it was noted, uh, but it's a little bit more now. It's a CIP project, um, <clears throat> which will have its own process. Okay, with, with that, I'll entertain uh, a motion to send this on to council. So move, Mr. Chair. So move. All right. I'll, I'll Moved second and second. Let, let Mr. Chair Presley move. There you go. Uh, all those in favor say aye. 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 Thank you very much. A very good presentation on uh, Thank you. A, a very detailed uh, project here. Thank you.
Greetings. It's the afternoon of February 16, 2023, Planning Board meeting. We're on item 9, but I think we'll hear from the Planning Director for a second. Certainly, Tanya Stern, Acting Planning Director. For the record, uh, given uh, the Board's uh, lengthy meeting today, we are going to uh, defer this item to the March 2nd uh, meeting. Um, this is the briefing on the, the overview of rental housing. Um, this is the same presentation we gave to the County Council a couple of weeks ago. So we'll, we will be back on March 2nd. Okay. With, with that, we have uh, no other business. Uh, so we are adjourned. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>